All right, welcome back to Unqualified Analysis, the show with zero credentials that just keeps firing off picks anyways. Picks? Whatever, I don't know. I'm kind of freehanding this uh, intro today because I've already typed 20-plus pages on just this episode. Uh, we are right in the middle of uh, cutdowns for rosters. So throughout this episode, I will have my trusty phone right next to me. Uh, still got... As I'm recording this, couple hours before the actual deadline to have the 53-man rosters set, but uh, plenty of roster moves happening today. So if anything major happens, uh, I got Ian Rappaport's notifications, tweet notifications set up on my phone. I will be updating that uh, as anything major comes in. I would expect some a few more things to happen. Maybe not while I'm recording, but. If it does happen, I'll be here to react. I mean, I guess live as I'm recording this. But anyways, just kind of, like I said, freehanding the uh, the intro today. Today we have got, uh, what, what do we have? What do we have? I usually, usually script this part out. But we have got Jimmy G, uh, you know, basically making us all look like fools. The NFL uh, kind of just giving in to Tom Brady's will. And like I just said there, we are going down the list of moves that have happened really just over the past week or so since we last talked. Uh, but hey, with, with that said, I mean, super packed episode today. I think I should probably uh, write out the intro next time to keep it from being this awkward. But anyways, with that said, uh, let's get into the headlines and uh, a real bummer to start us off. The Headlines. And in that aforementioned real bummer, uh, starting off the show, starting off hot, uh, the Bills have released Matt Ariza following a civil suit accusing him of a uh, gang rape. Um, you know, well, <laughs> those multiple headlines last week that I had uh, praising this guy's talent uh, certainly did not age well. Uh, boy, boy, how things change in the course of a weekend. Um, really not going to make any jokes about this one, though. Not not going to spend a great deal of time on it either, uh, just because this story, honestly... Stories like this, they just make me depressed with uh, the state of humanity as a whole, uh, as, as someone with two sisters and, and a mother who I love very dearly. Um, this just kind of, these stories break my heart more than anything else in the world. Um, that being said, after seeing the guy's praises last week, uh, I think I need to at least address it so he doesn't just ride off into the sunset after having all that uh, that praise heaped on him last week. Uh, obviously, just going off the top line, uh, he and two freshmen were accused of gang raping a high schooler at a house party last season while Ariza was playing at San Diego State. I believe the two freshmen were also on the football team. Not that it, it really matters in the grand scheme of things. Um, the details are out there, readily available if you want to know the specifics, uh, but I'm, I'm not going to get into that here because, frankly, uh, they're disgusting, they're depressing. It's, it's, it's the worst parts of humanity written out on a piece of paper. Um, suffice to say, though, if what's alleged, alleged at this point, obviously, I mean, apparently the story's been circulating out there for a while. The Bills knew about it for a month. We'll get to that in a second. Not sure exactly what they knew, but it is still alleged. We'll have to keep that in mind. Uh, that that being said, if this is all true, if it's all corroborated, uh, Arise is never going to play another snap in the NFL again. And hell, if he's guilty, I got zero sympathy for the guy whatsoever. Um, if he's not guilty, I mean, it'll all work itself out. He's a very talented guy. He's going to find his way back in the league eventually if he gets exonerated from this. 
Uh, I've got some spicy takes on how we should deal with uh, people who have committed sex crimes in general as a society, but just going to save that for another day and another forum because this is this is a sports podcast. I'm not going to try to talk about how I want to punish sex offenders uh, when, it, when it gets down to it. You know, I'll, I'll save that for, for conversations with friends. With that said, focusing on the sports side of this because this is a sports podcast, um, you know, keeping the alleged rapist out, out of here for now. Uh, the Bills now have no punter on their roster at the time of this recording. Might be changed by the time this comes out or by the time I'm done recording this. Uh, and they can't go back and sign Mac, Matt Hawk because uh, he already found a home in Indy following the, the injury of Rigoberto Sanchez that I reported last week. Um, Matt Barkley actually played uh, at punter for the Bills in their final preseason game this past week. Oh yeah, that's, that's another thing. I'm not sure if I corrected this over the past couple weeks or not, but I think I was still operating under the assumption uh, coming into this preseason that there were still four games. Uh, untrue, there are four weeks. Well, I guess five weeks if you're if you're doing the Hall of Fame game, but four weeks. Uh, but they take that last week off because really, if you think about it, before the fourth preseason game was outside of the first preseason game, the most useless preseason game of all time. Um, I I guess now they've got the the rosters set, got a whole week of of practice, really just a, a bye week before the season starts. Uh, to get everything calibrated, get ready for week one in, I guess, a, a week and a half at this point. Um, that being said, uh, the team had reportedly been at least aware of the situation for a month now, but still chose to cut Matt Hawk, which is simply just a confusing move to me, quite frankly. Um, if you knew this stuff was lingering out there, how do you take the risk of cutting the incumbent starter from last season, really earlier than you have to. I mean, the 53-man cutdown wasn't until this Tuesday, so they could have, knowing that 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 stuff was lingering, they knew that it was there. I feel like you could have kept Matt Hawk around for a little bit longer as an insurance policy, but as it was, they took the risk of cutting Matt Hawk. Uh, Matt Ariza had the lawsuit come down, and they really you can't keep him after those details come out. I mean, it's just especially with the whole Deshaun Watson situation going on with how bad the league looks because of that. I mean, even from just a purely pragmatic perspective, that's just, that wasn't a situation uh, that was going to be tenable for the bills going forward. Um, I'm just interested. If you knew this stuff was lingering out there, how do you take the risk? That's the main, that's the main issue. I'm guessing that this is just a regular reckless speculation thing, but it's the one thing that makes this whole decision process for Brandon Bean and the Bills makes sense to me. Uh, my guess is that Matt Ariza and or his representation representation rather uh, assured the team that this was this story was going to go away quickly. Uh, otherwise, the move to get rid of Hawk makes zero sense whatsoever. I'm guessing Ariza downplayed the severity of the details to the team, uh, downplayed uh, probably a lot of things about this situation. Otherwise, Matt Hawk would still be in the building in all likelihood. Uh, and the team might actually sign a guy by the time this episode comes out, like I said. But with no more preseason games, the Bills have at least the luxury of time away from prying eyes to figure it out. I mean, it, it's not the ideal scenario. You'd love to have at least had a guy on the roster for your third preseason game. But even with that, 
as the roster cutdowns come down, I mean, they're getting set in like a pretty good position to have their pick of the litter. Uh, like I said, with roster cuts happening, some solid options have suddenly come available. So the Bills may actually come out in this all right. Particularly uh, Sam Martin for the Broncos, who we'll talk about today, and Brett Kern for the Titans, who we talked about Oh, a couple weeks ago at this point. Both got the axe for salary concerns. Uh, Sam Martin in particular specifically refused any sort of pay cut and, and was cut accordingly. So right there, um, outside of the guys that you already got in the market, those are two of the top options right there. Uh, most of the guys we've all heard of are already free agents, though, outside of those two, uh, even if there's not really a whole lot of them to choose from right now. Uh, you got Michael Pilardi, uh, Jordan Berry, who just lost the Vikings competition to a, a rookie. Big guy punter. Can't wait to talk about him next week. Uh, Hunter Nicewander, uh, Ty Long, and the ageless Dustin Colquitt are all like really the top options right now. Plus, like I just said, Martin and Kern, one of those guys actually is likely going to be the guy that they bring in, uh, unless they plan to bring in a young guy for cheap, uh, yet to be seen on that one. They did just spend a whole lot of capital uh, getting rid of Matt Ariza, I would imagine. I'm not sure what the cap hit ultimately was for that, but another late ad, Drew Chrisman was also in a heated competition for the Bengals job got cut there. So he should be, you know, another good option there. Maybe not, maybe not up there with, I think Jordan Berry after all of, you know, Martin and Kern, I think Jordan Berry is probably the third best option available there, but Martin and Kern are undebatably the one and two option. Kern is actually from Buffalo though. So reading the tea leaves and knowing that he's the best guy on the market right now, that seems all but guaranteed uh, to happen. Again, we'll update that as it happens, but Brett Kern looks like he's going to be the front runner. I think it all just kind of matters uh, what the what the salary looks like, what they end up negotiating, but I would be shocked if Kern wasn't the one in there. Uh, that being said, we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. If, if there's any luck, we'll get a notification about it um, before this podcast is done airing. That being said, it is 1.23 right now. I don't anticipate recording until 4 o'clock. So my guess is they will wait until after that 4 p.m. deadline on today, Tuesday. Uh, and then once they see what all has happened, if there's any more more punters that come available, they'll take their pick of the litter. Probably end up going with Kern anyways, but it'll probably either be later today as I'm recording this or uh, tomorrow, the day that this comes out. But with that said, not much else to say on that that Bills punter situation. Hopefully we can we can move move on from Matt Ariza. Um, I'm sure that situation won't exactly just just go away, but at, at least though they won't have like you know. Yeah, I'm not not even gonna say anything. I mean, who even knows? It's the details are awful, but at the end of the day, it is still alleged right now. I've not heard any details about it. He could end up being guilty as hell, but he could also end up being not guilty, and this could end up just being an unfortunate situation. I I have no idea. That being said. Can't keep the guy on your roster when they're when they're figuring that out. He's just gonna have to walk his own path on that one. And if he gets if he gets exonerated, he I mean, punters can play forever. So he's got a lot of time to figure it out if he is exonerated. If not, fuck him, bury him under the jail. So hey, that's really all we got in that situation right now. Moving down uh, to another situation that made a few people feel like fools. Um, after all the speculation, all the conversation in the off season. Jimmy G takes a pay cut and steps in, <laughs> stays put as the uh, as the San Francisco backup quarterback. 
Uh, he's now making six and a half million on in base salary this season. Uh, he can bump that up another ten million if he starts for an extended period of time. I mean, solid, solid compromise at the end. But you know, I feel like we all wasted a little bit of brain power all off season wondering where Jimmy G would end up. I mean, it gave us something to talk about for a few months, but god damn do I feel dumb for thinking this guy was ever going to be traded. Just a whole, whole lot of wasted time, whole lot of wasted speculation, but I feel like that that's also just kind of the offseason, a little bit par for the course. Uh, I think the main question hanging over this move is what the impact in the locker room is going to be. I think, you know, Jimmy G was, you know, it's, it's well-documented, well-known. He was a very well-liked guy in that locker room. I think pretty much everyone on that offense really likes the guy. I mean, outside of outside of allegedly just basically disappearing uh, the second the offseason hits. Outside of that, he's a fun guy to have around. He's a good guy to have in the locker room. Uh, that being said, with Trey Lance stepping in, how how is the power dynamic going to shift? I think the team has made it very clear, uh, given the salary pay cut that Jimmy G just took, that they're, they're expecting Trey Lance to be the starter. Trey Lance has started all throughout the training camp. He's gotten all those reps while Jimmy G is just basically sat on the side practice field while the team looked to find a, a trading partner for him, which they didn't. Um, that being that being said, I feel like if Trey Lance comes in and plays well, this won't be an issue at all. Jimmy G will just be a good locker room guy to have, good backup guy to have. Uh, if Trey Lance comes in and struggles, this could get hairy. <laughs> and I think that's something that pretty much everyone acknowledged right away when people were suggesting that Jimmy G would stay on the 49ers. You've already seen Jimmy G take you to the playoffs, win playoff games. I mean, help you win games that you didn't think you would be able to win. I mean, if Trey Lance has a few down games in a row, I mean, the team is not looking too great. I mean, I, I have a whole lot of faith in Kyle Shanahan to stick to his guns and stick with Trey Lance, but there's going to be a lot of pressure whether it be in the locker room or from the front, well, certainly not from the front office. The front office would want Trey Lance to stay in there no matter what. But in that locker room, I would imagine if the team is struggling under Lance, there's going to be a certain amount of pressure for Jimmy G to go in there and take over from then on. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out from really just an interpersonal uh, political dynamic within that locker room because this is a very unusual situation. You usually see, I mean, Jimmy G, the incumbent, Trey Lance coming in as a number three overall pick. Usually you see Jimmy G, you know, starting out okay, faltering at a certain point, then eventually uh, just being relegated to the backup role as, as Trey Lance steps in there. Usually that all happens within the rookie year. Uh, the problem is, team was good last year. Jimmy G played well at, at different times last year, and when Trey Lance came in, he obviously wasn't ready. So that left us where we are now with... <laughs> With Jimmy G and Trey Lance still on the roster, Jimmy G played all of last season. I mean, I could just see this being very, very awkward in the locker room. I could see it split in the locker room. You usually don't see two starting caliber quarterbacks stay on a team because it can be very, very challenging uh, for a locker room to stay united behind one guy. Uh, that being said... Much like the Bills punter situation, we're going to have to wait and see exactly what happens here. I think they got a strong locker room um, leaders, strong leaders in that locker room to kind of keep it all together. But a quarterback controversy can kind of derail everything you're going for. So 
I mean, 49ers look good this year. We'll talk about them on Friday this week. But, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's a big wait-and-see sort of thing as to how the, this whole thing will play out in the locker room. And moving from one former New England QB to a, uh, a bit more notable one, the one that was ahead of Jimmy G on the depth chart while he was there, uh, Tom Brady totally caused the NFL uh, to surrender to his will. Uh, the top 100 players list just came out. I believe it came out on either Monday or Sunday this week. Honestly, can't what can't rightly remember. Jesus, uh, still he's the number one player in the league according to the NFL's top 100 list. And guys, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna have to be a poopy pants right now, but I respect the hell out of Brady and am constantly in awe of the way he's been able to intellectually master the game of football. But this is simply not true. <laughs> Tom Brady is not the number one player in the league right now. I would say he's not number two or three. I would say he's not the number two or three quarterback overall. I think there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot of players that you could put ahead of Tom Brady right now. And I hate to say that. I hate to sound like I'm disrespecting the guy. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. I think as far as like a mental mastery of the game, no one has gotten as far and as advanced as Tom Brady has, Peyton Manning is the only one that got even close. And even then, he would get to the get to the postseason, and it would be a short circuit at times. Tom Brady, you never saw that happen. I love Tom Brady as a player, undisputably greatest player in NFL history. That being said, that's history. The guy is 45 right now. He's not even the best quarterback in the league at this point in in his career. Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen. All those guys have better arms, more mobility, similar penchant for manipulating games. Maybe not necessarily Josh Allen, but he's such a physical beast that he can just take over a game that way. All of those guys, I would fear more with the ball in their hands than Tom Brady at this point in, in his career. I mean, it's just plain and simple. And most importantly, all those guys are at least, at least a decade younger with the exception of Rodgers. I mean, both Mahomes and, uh, and Josh Allen are damn near 20 years younger than the guy right now. Uh, like I just said, I mean, Tom Brady's never been known for athleticism. Josh Allen is a fucking power running back at, at the quarterback position. Pat Mahomes, I mean, he's not necessarily a power runner, but he can move a lot better than a lot of other quarterbacks can, uh, squirt out of bounds whenever he needs to. I get that Brady has cucked the entire league into believing that he will never age, but goddamn, guys, can we just open our eyes and use them effectively. I'm not trying to disparage the man. Like I said, greatest player of all time, undisputedly. Uh, I'd still put him in my top five QBs right now in the NFL after what he did last year. I feel like that should be enough respect for for the most part. I mean, the guy is a top five QB at age 45. That's something completely insane. But we want to elevate him as, as the number one player in the league, which is simply not true. I would honestly, at this point, and this might even be a little bit of a spicy take, I would put Aaron Donald ahead of Tom Brady on the player rankings overall right now. I mean, I know Tom Brady is obviously more important, but you talk about just like quality of player, like athleticism. I mean, maybe not impact on the game because quarterbacks, by default, more impact than anyone else. But as far as a physically dominant presence, I would put Aaron Donald ahead of Tom Brady right now in those rankings. So, but to, to say the end of, of Tom Brady's career is better than Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen literally in the prime of their career right now is an absolutely asinine take. And you cannot convince me otherwise. You can 
throw out all these career Brady stats and whatnot. What's that got to do with Brady at 45? He's had a fantastic career. He's had a fantastic late third, late thirties, uh, early forties of his career. But guys, I mean, <laughs> he's a great player. Don't get me wrong. I get it. I've said it many times right now. I feel like I'm talking in circles, but man, he is not. He is not the best player in the league. And I hate that I gotta be the poopy pants that comes out and says it, but I feel like I'm the only one who's not insane on this because everyone just seems to be going along with Tom Brady being the number one player. I refuse to do such things, and uh, I'm guessing he'll probably come out, throw like 30 touchdowns and two interceptions this year or, or something along those lines. Make me feel like a real dumb dumb. But hey, shout out to the NFL uh, for just bending to Tom Brady's will and shirking all forms of logic avocado ice cream and plain chicken breasts all around for everybody and as i listen to the rain well i would say softly but it's pretty aggressively beaten down on the roof of the house that i am in let's move on to a uh well <laughs> I'm, it's not quite as depressing as the matariza story uh it at least has like a a, a hopeful end to it but that being said commie's rookie running back brian robert robinson was shot in an attempted uh, robbery. wasn't clear whether it was a carjacking or uh, just a robbery. Either way, Brian Robinson said, "Fucking bet, I'm calling your bluff." And well, they they weren't bluffing. Unfortunately, uh, the injuries were non-life threatening, and the team hasn't ruled him out to play at some point this season. So he's he's about to walk back into the locker room with all the street cred uh, when he does make a return. The, the wounds were reportedly uh, to his glute and lower leg, so definitely not any good spots to get shot. I think at any place you get shot is a bad spot to get shot, but that being said, if you're going to choose a place to get shot, I think the ass meat and the part of the leg that doesn't have the femoral artery in it, probably the best you could do. Um, th he got absolutely lucky as hell. Should end up making a full recovery. Actually on the active 53-man roster for the uh, the commies entering the season, which was a huge step, tells me he probably, I mean, he probably won't be back. Well, he won't be out for a super extended period of time. I mean, that really just adds more to his street cred. Uh, had surgery today as I'm recording this. Uh, I, I guess got the, got the bullets out, got all that stuff. So he is recovering now. Um, so, hey, I think at this point we can probably just laugh at it a little bit. Maybe not aggressively laugh at it, but he should make a full recovery. That's all you can ask for. He's going to walk into that locker room and, like, fucking 50 Cent refusing to die. He can say, he can legitimately look at, look at his fellow teammates, look them in the eyes and say, if a gun can't kill me, why do you think you can? That's pretty much the most, the most badass thing of all time. Uh, but yeah, th this, this man... This should be a lesson. This should be a lesson for everyone listening right now. To everyone out there, head on a fucking swivel when you are roaming around the D.C. area. They do not fuck around up there, man. This was broad daylight. This was the middle of the day on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day of all days. And these guys still walked up to, I mean, an enormous human being. Brian Robinson is a jacked son of a bitch. Sorry, I don't mean to disparage his mother, but he is a jacked motherfucker Again, kind of disparaging his mother by default there. But you know what I'm saying. Brian Robinson's really, really jacked. For those guys to walk up, I mean, sure, they've got guns. So, I mean, they, they have the trump card, if nothing else. But to walk up to that man and just say, hey, give me your car, give me your wallet. That's, I mean, that's, that's gotta, 
That's some balls right there. Those are some guys looking to hustle and, and make some money through the nefarious ways that they know best, man. But hey, doors locked, eyes on your own work when you're moving around the nation's capital, my friends. I mean, glad it looks like Brian Robinson will be okay, but let his experience be a lesson to all. They do not fuck around in the D.C. area. And I know, I know, I worked around these types of guys, man. I mean, I had gang members working with me when I was working at a little sandwich shop over in uh, over in Virginia. I almost said the exact place, but that wouldn't be very couth of me, would it? So, I had legit gang members working with me in D.C. They had literally one rival gang member walk by and, you know, flash some signs, maybe do some disrespectful shit, and literally... All of the gang members in the store were contemplating going out there. I don't know what they were planning on doing. Again, this is this is more to my point. Like, when you're in those sorts of situations, big time eyes on your own work sort of thing. You just focus on what you're focusing on. Try not to get all the, all the details as to uh, the situation that's unfolding around you. Just kind of, you know, monitor it to make sure that you don't got to fucking run at some point. But that is all to say, I don't know exactly what they were planning on doing, but they were planning on going out and beating the hell out of this guy that just kind of walked by, did like a, a passing flash of a sign and whatever disrespectful thing he allegedly did. That's just walking by, man. I mean, these people in D.C., they do not give a fuck. So, rambled on about this long enough. Man, just keep your head on a swivel when you were in D.C. Uh, Brian Robinson, and by the way, looking at two guys that were probably armed and saying, nah, man, I'm just going to get back in my car. One, ill-advised. If you're being robbed, just go along with it for the most part. And, you know, I'm not even going to, I'm not Detroit urban survival training here. So I'm just like, hey, if you, you want to survive, just just let, let them do what they're going to do. Uh, that being said, badass. Total badass move. That total just not giving a fuck move. I think Brian Robinson totally elevated his status in that Washington locker room as the one guy, at least among the rookie class, he's far and away the one guy that you do not want to fuck with off the field. He has earned that. I mean, he took two shots to the two shots to the legs. Still fine. Probably coming back at some point early-ish this season. I mean, absolute animal. Earned all the respect in the world in the locker room. I mean, you'd prefer to earn it in less violent ways, but however you get it, I suppose. So, hey, Good luck to Brian Robinson in the recovery, and I cannot stress this enough. One more time, for all you people out there listening, head on a swivel when you're going around D.C., man. And as I listen to the rain intensify outside, let's move on from some, some headlines to a uh, quick roundup of all the, the cuts that have happened so far today as I'm recording. Uh, off the top, the Titans released Brett Kern, Broncos released Sam Martin due to salary constraints. Already talked about this before uh, when talking about the Matt Arises situation. Uh, Martin was reported to have specifically refused any pay reduction. Uh, one of these guys may have already been signed by the Bills. By the time this gets recorded, not true, but by the time this gets released, yet to be seen. One of them might be signed. Kern certainly has the inside track there, so we'll just have to watch that as the day progresses. Uh, moving down the list, Ravens are bringing back all pro Ronnie Stanley off the pup list. Good sign for him. Uh, missed a significant portion of last season with injuries. So that's a guy you need to have back specifically, especially when uh, we'll talk about it in a little bit. But Gus Edwards got put on the PUP recently. So you want all the offensive linemen you can for a backfield that once again looks like it might end up being thin to start the year. 
Um, Seahawks named Geno Smith the week one starter, uh, and Drew Locke dances his way all the way to the bench. Uh, let's let's be honest, though. Drew Locke, he's probably going to get his shot at some point this season. Geno Smith uh, isn't necessarily a long-term starting option for you. I'll, I'll just put it that way. Uh, the, the whole Seahawks QB situation, boy, if you are a Seattle fan, I'm sorry. That's that's going to be not fun to watch this season. That's, whew, oh boy. I mean, hey, you're going to have a great draft pick, though. So, I mean, that's something to look forward to. Um, yeah, Sam Darnold. <laughs> that's injury to insult. Uh, he got benched for um, Baker Mayfield last week. I mean, although I guess bench isn't necessarily the way to put it. He got relegated to backup after the guy they traded for took the starting job last week, Baker Mayfield. Uh, now got injured in the third preseason game. He will miss four to six weeks with a high ankle sprain. Um, have to see what they end up doing at the third string spot. They already lost uh, Matt Corral uh, earlier in, in the preseason with a season-ending Liz Frank injury. So they're going to have to find someone to fill the, fill the spot there. Um, I believe... At least one QB got cut today, so I mean that's you know that's some, something to look at there. Uh, but definitely, I mean it is the Panthers at the end of the day, so not not really too too overly concerned about it. They're not going to be great either way, but they might be average. So something to look forward to, I suppose. Just talked in circles for I don't know about a million seconds there, so. Yep, whatever. Well, we're going to move down the list. Saints first round pick offensive tackle Trevor Penning. Out indefinitely after tearing a ligament in his foot. Uh, should need surgery on that. I think he was seeking a second opinion, if I'm not mistaken, though. Uh, he wasn't slated as the starter at the time of his injury, but he was trending to take that starting job sooner rather than later. He'd apparently improved a lot in camp and was probably maybe not going to start the season at tackle, but... Over the first couple weeks, I think he was expected to end up taking that starting role. Um, big loss for the Saints, especially after Teron Armstead left this offseason. Um, still a strong group up there, but a little bit thinner than it was uh, just before this injury happened. I mean, the, the Saints, they're going to need that running game to be, be effective if they want to end up getting some wins together this season. So... That'll be another big, big situation to watch. I mean, they didn't necessarily rule out Trevor Penning, Trevor Penning rather, to come out at the end of the season or come back at the end of the season. So, I mean, maybe there, there might be something like that to look forward to. Uh, but not not an area that the Saints wanted to have an injury in at this point. They still got Alvin Kamara back there who can make up for some mistakes. But at the same time, if the offensive line is is not letting you get any space, that's that's a big issue for a running back, and you can't really overcome that for the most part anyways. We'll have to see how this whole uh, injury situation affects the Saints offense as a whole. Um, outside of that, the Dolphins signed uh, defensive end Trey Flowers to a one-year deal, uh, released Porter Gustin. Uh, not really a major move there, but it was Trey Flowers. I mean, he's been with a million fucking teams at this point. The fact that he keeps getting on teams, that's it's incredible, man. I mean, shout out to Trey Flowers for just continuing to be booted off the team by the Patriots, then picked up by some other team. I would imagine if, if trends hold... The, the Dolphins are going to cut him at some point in the middle of the season. Then he will inevitably uh, come back to the Patriots as they need some more uh, some more depth on the outside rushers, such as the uh, such as the life for for uh, Trey Flowers. You might have heard the might have heard the panic there in my voice. Almost dropped my phone 
on the floor there. I mean, I got an outer box, so it wouldn't have been the biggest deal in the world. But reflexes took over, man. That was a good, good jolt to the uh, adrenaline there. Moving down the list, though, uh, Jags traded LaVisca Chenault to the Panthers. He's a wide receiver, if you didn't know. Not necessarily a, uh, a household name, LaVisca Chenault. But great offensive weapon type of player. He's a guy that I've... I heard about a couple seasons ago, I knew about him coming out of college, he's a very exciting player at, God, I can't remember because their colors are so similar, but it was either Wake Forest or Purdue that he went to, I'm leaning towards Wake Forest on that one, but absolute weapon of a player, interesting athlete, explosive athlete, that's very, very good after the catch, just never had a great offensive situation in Jacksonville to really highlight those strengths, and Chenault was now buried on the Jags' depth chart with addition with the additions of Christian Kirk and Zay Jones, who were a bit more traditional receivers on the outside, not necessarily change of pace like Chenault is. Meanwhile, Panthers needed another weapon, so this should work out well for all parties involved. I think Chenault adds a very interesting, versatile uh, aspect to this offense that, I mean, I think DJ Moore provides to a certain degree, but Chenault only enforces that. I'm interested to see what the uh, the Panthers end up doing with the with these pieces they have because they have a lot of they have a lot of um, diversity a lot of a lot of adaptability in this group I mean interesting group I, the the more I think about these Panthers the less I think they're gonna be terrible and the more I think they're gonna be like just average if not like slightly below average like they don't have an awful team they have a solidly eh 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 team I mean it's like I mean it's not really uh, that's really the only, only way I can describe it. It's not an awesome team. It's just eh, you know, and LaVisca Chenault makes that a little bit better than eh, in my opinion. Uh, I think he'll end up featuring, maybe not prominently in this offense, but uh, I think he'll end up being like, maybe not a skeleton key type of role per se, like you see with Taysom Hill, but playing something similar to that, just utilizing his speed, athleticism, and uh, prowess after the catch. Um, should be interesting to see and watch how the Panthers utilize him this season. Um, linebacker, well, whew, yeah, the linebackers released him. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think the Lions released former first-round pick Jared Davis. At least I think it was the Lions. Maybe it was the Jets that released former Lions first-round pick Jared Davis. Either way, Jared Davis out of a job now uh, after playing last season with the Jets. Uh, I guess a bit of a surprise among the media. Uh, I guess he'll likely probably be picked up by some linebacker needy team. Uh, maybe the maybe the Broncos, as we're, we'll talk about here. I would say in a second, but this is probably the longest single uh, episode outline that I've ever done. So could be a while. Could be a while. But uh, that said, not a whole. I don't even know who Jared Davis really is outside of him being a first round pick in uh, in 2017. So hey, good luck to him. He seems talented, so I'm sure he'll find another job somewhere else. But, hey, good on you. Uh, another linebacker who I really don't know much about, uh, Cardinals cut linebacker Devon Kennard. Um, Cardinals drafted two linebackers in this year's draft. Kennard uh, got buried in the depth chart, so writing was on the wall to a, uh, a certain extent. And, <laughs> boy, we'll talk about this here in a second. You know what? We'll just move it up now uh, because this is just, just a hilarious Hilarious duo of, of moves. Uh, the Vikings cut Kellen Mond, and then later today, as of 1.49 p.m., the time I'm recording this, they have now cut Sean Mannion, too. So, <laughs> Sean Mannion, I, they, they appear to be looking to bring him back on the practice squad if he doesn't get claimed by someone else, which, after seeing what Mannion put out there, I mean, I guess you gotta gotta always... 
Got to always factor in that that John Elway might might come into George Payton's ear and just be like, hey, man, he looks a lot like me. You should pick him up. There's always that possibility. But after seeing what Mannion put out there on tape, I think he'll probably be safe to uh, land back on our practice squad. But, yeah, the addition of Nick Mullins uh, through trade uh, last week, I think it was, with the Raiders, kind of spelled the end for at least Kellen Mond. Um, Thought it was probably, if they had to pick one of those between Mannion and Mond, uh, they were probably going to pick Mannion, but end up cutting both. Uh, Mannion will probably end up his way back on the on the practice squad. So, hey, I mean, backup situation got better for the Vikings this preseason as far as I'm concerned. I was not excited to uh, perhaps have Kirk Cousins not in there for maybe catching a case of COVID, and we are staring right down the barrel at uh, Sean Mannion starting in Week 10 or some shit like that. That, is, that sounds like my worst nightmare uh, at all levels, but now it's Nick Mullins back there. I trust him as a backup, uh, very solid backup. I think he'll have a long career in that role as well. So good on the Vikings for making upgrades all throughout the preseason. With that said, though, back to your regularly scheduled programming as I get out of the updates segment here. Ravens place running back Gus Edwards on the pup list, like I just said earlier in the in the episode. Uh, they're also bringing in Kenyon Drake for a workout. I don't know if they have officially signed him yet, but they are expected to sign him today at some point. Uh, J.K. Dobbins is apparently questionable for Week One as of now, coming back from that uh, that season-ending. I think it was an ACL injury uh, last season. Um, John Harbaugh doesn't sound optimistic for Week One. I think it's totally up in the air right now. He essentially said, if we've got J.K. Dobbins, great. If not, we've also got other guys to, to fill the role, too. Uh, I would assume Kenyon Drake will feature prominently if J.K. Dobbins is not able to go in week one. But it looks like J.K. Dobbins should probably be good to go uh, in the subsequent weeks after that. Maybe week two, three, four, something like that. I mean, they haven't really put a timetable on when Dobbins is going to return. But he will be the number one back when he does. Uh, I guess Gus Edwards will probably be out for the first four weeks or so going on that pup list. I think that's the that's the default nowadays in this new CBA is four weeks um, that you have to be on there once you're placed on the pup list. Um, bad loss for them. I think Gus Edwards had a major injury last season that really took his entire season from him. So not a not a great trend there from Edwards. But, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll just have to see how much uh, Kenyon Drake features in this offense. Another year for the Ravens where they got – a whole, maybe not a whole bunch of injuries, but a lot of key injuries in the backfield. This is a persistent issue for them. Um, moving on from that, the Bills release a pair of free agent signings from this offseason. Uh, tight end O.J. Howard, running back Duke Johnson. Howard was a, big, a bit of a shock to me personally. I thought he would factor more prominently in the Bills' offense this season, uh, kind of working in tandem uh, with the stud they got in there now, Dawson Knox. Uh, that being said... He's a guy who's had a lot of injuries, never truly lived up to his potential as a receiver. Um, so perhaps the Bills just decided the juice wasn't worth the squeeze on that contract of his. They did sign him to, I don't know if it was super, super rich, but richer than what the alternative is behind him. Probably whatever guy that they had behind him probably outplayed him during the during the training camp. And, I mean, it, it just makes more sense to have a, a younger, cheaper guy in there uh, who plays better on the field than having an expensive guy who, I mean, you paid paid a good amount of money for, but just isn't cutting it, isn't up to snuff. Uh, kind of a disappointing end to uh, O.J. Howard's tenured with t- tenure with the Bills this season. Um, expected a little bit more, but that's also, I mean, it's been, that's been the story 
basically throughout his entire career. You expect him more. I mean, even going back to Alabama, you expect him to be a monster at Alabama. Didn't quite work out that way. He gets drafted fifth overall by the Buccaneers. Never really rounds into form as that pass-catching threat that you thought he would. Great athlete. Maybe not the best uh, overall route runner player on the field, but great athlete. Uh, sounds like he was a guy that was good to have in the locker room. So, I mean, hey, hopefully he finds a, uh, a new spot. But not on the Bills anymore, unfortunately. As far as Duke Johnson goes, uh, he was a guy I speculated uh, might get the axe on last week's AFC East preview. Uh, he's a good option as a receiver out of the backfield, but uh, he was buried on at fourth on the depth chart leading up to his being cut. So there really wasn't room for him on this roster. Uh, reports are saying that if he doesn't end up on another team's active roster, he likely will resign to the Bucks practice squad, so you'll have him back there um, when it's all said and done, if nothing else. Um, but hey, that's I, I, these are two rotational players, not going to spend too, too much time on this. Moving on to another rotational player who uh, had the curse of signing a free agent contract this season, Philip Lindsay, released by the Colts. Uh, he was buried in the indie depth chart, and there were cheaper options uh, that could perform at the same role. Uh, so, you know, the move makes fiscal sense from the Colts' perspective, I would say. Um, really, Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor, not in that order, are going to take 90-plus percent of the snaps at running back this year. I think Philip Lindsay was basically there as an insurance policy, and if you're going to have an insurance policy, might as well make it a young guy back there. Instead of Philip Lindsay, um, see if you got something uh, from the draft prospects or whatever they have back there. I Rightly, I mean, just really in one ear, out the other as far as, I mean, who who the fuck wants to remember the third and fourth string running backs on any team, let alone, let alone the Colts of all teams? And I did the Colts... I mean, they were one of my first teams last season. So, I mean, cut me a break. Cut me a break, inanimate person that I'm arguing with right now. Uh, with that said, I've started talking to myself, so I think that means I'm pretty much done uh, with the Philip Lindsay headline. Moving down, uh, already talked about Kellen Mond getting cut. Hilarious. Um, the Saints trade safety C.J. Gardner-Johnson to the Eagles. This is our last update as of right now. Uh, again, stay tuned as far as like what the Twitter, the Twitter timeline and ultimately puts out for me. I'm stumbling through my words today. But sticking with C.J. Gardner-Johnson to the Eagles, uh, I believe the compensation was a fifth rounder in this year's draft and a sixth rounder in 2024. I think the Saints also sent back a seventh rounder in 2025. So ultimately... I mean, for, for what you're sending over, I mean, you'd love to get more out of C.J. Gardner-Johnson, but the situation was what the situation was. I think it was a good pickup for the Eagles, certainly. Uh, C.J. G.J. provides some high-quality depth for the Saints after all the time that he spent in the starting lineup, but he belonged somewhere where he could actually start and, and make some impact. Uh, he'll take the strong safety Marcus Epps spot there in the starting lineup, uh, slot right in there and play right away, I would imagine. Um, I think the Saints get value back for for a guy who was pretty much guaranteed to leave in free agency after this season. Reports were that Gardner-Johnson was in talks to come back to the Saints uh, in contract talks. Those fell through, which ended up which ended up with them uh, trading C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Um, he was in a contract year. This was his last year, so he was just going to be buried on the depth chart and then eventually just leaving free agency after this year. Uh, as far as the Eagles' perspective, uh, they bolster their back end 
upgraded safety, something that they needed. I think it was something that I pointed out last week that might end up being an issue for them. And uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, particularly, the player, I mean, he'll get a chance to start uh, put out some strong tape in a contract year. I think everybody, everybody wins in this situation. Um, if you're the Saints, I think you'd probably like to get more than just a couple uh, late-round draft picks back for him. But, I mean, you take what you can get. He's a guy that everyone knew was not really being utilized in the team and was going to leave at the end of the year. So that doesn't put them in the strongest bargaining position of all time. Um, I do think this is best for everyone, though. I think C.J. Gardner-Johnson... He was not going to have any chance whatsoever to go out there, put out some tape to, to demand a big contract at the end of this year, just based on how strong that Saints back end is. I mean, particularly at the safety, you got Tyron Matthew and Marcus May back there. Not a whole lot of room for C.J. Gardner-Johnson to come in and get, get snaps in there. I mean, maybe he would play, a, well, definitely he would play a rotational role, if nothing else. But with the Eagles now, he's with a team that I think is the best team in the NFC East, one of the better teams in the NFC on the whole, uh, he bolsters that back end, makes them makes them more difficult to more difficult to go against on offense. Um, I really like this pickup personally. I think C.J. Gardner Johnson is going to play well this year, and whether he stays with the Eagles or goes elsewhere, I think he's going to put in some good tape, end up getting a big contract at the end of this. And really, that's that's all you can ask for from a player's perspective. And you know, I think if the Saints <laughs> the Saints get some compensation. Eagles get to bolster their team. C.J. Gardner-Johnson gets what he wants as far as playing time uh, so he can give himself a chance for a big contract. Like I said before, everybody wins in this. Um, I, I love I love the deal from basically all perspectives. I mean, it's it's a it's a bitter pill to to swallow if you're a, if you're a Saints fan. But that being said, this is probably the best outcome overall with that decision. Well, not that that situation in mind. And uh, with that verbal stumble at the end, uh, that basically brings us to the end of uh, headlines and injury updates uh, section of this. So, moving on to the divisional preview, we have got the AFC West. The divisional preview. And I just checked the time. We are 47 minutes deep and four pages in. This is going to be it's gonna be a long episode, ladies and gentlemen. But the AFC West, this Ladies and gentlemen, is the best division in all of football, regardless of level. Obviously, they're better than every division in college football by default. But in the in the big boys, among the NFL teams, this is the premier division in all of football. Four starting QBs who I would put in my top ten. Four offenses that I think could be in the top ten when this season is all said and done. The margin for error in the AFC West is slimmer than in any other division in the entire league. All it's going to take is one or two slip-ups to find yourself falling from first place all the way down to fourth, I think. I am all fired up to break down this division, and I'm even more fired up to see all of these teams play each other throughout this season. Oh boy. So with that, let's get straight into it. Starting at the top of the division from last year, the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs ended last season in thrilling fashion, winning an absolute banger versus the Buffalo Bills in an all-time divisional round matchup, something we're going to remember for a long time. Before being upset by the upstart Bengals uh, in another overtime game, Joe Cool, Joe Burrow coming back, winning that in overtime in the conference championships. This season, roster looks a little bit different, but still remains strong on multiple levels. Uh, let's, let's break down the whole team, starting with the offense. 
Um, at the end of the day, Pat Mahomes is still the QB, and Andy Reid is still running the offense. So there's only so far this offense can fall, but there's a significant amount of turnover for the Chiefs this season. Most notably, they trade Tyreek Hill to the Dolphins, uh, but they also lost Daryl Williams and Byron Byron Pringle to the free agency. Jesus Christ, I'm not sure how that was so hard to, to get out of my mouth. But in replacement, they signed Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and uh, Ronald Jones, who currently sits at fourth in the depth chart uh, behind rookie seventh-round pick Isaiah Pacheco. Uh, he looks like he's in the chopping block. I think Ronald Jones might actually have already been cut, if I'm not mistaken. But, oh, goodness. Ooh. I'm choking on my own spit right now. Anyways, uh, after all that dust is settled, uh, well, also that seventh round rookie named Isaiah Pacheco, he will probably factor in the backfield at some point this season. He's already the starting kick returner, uh, explosive athlete back there, uh, young guy, cheap guy. So he's a guy that they want to probably uh, fa- factor in more and more as the season goes on. That's one of the areas at, at running back that I think uh, the Chiefs can really skimp and save given what they they have to pay um pat mahomes at quarterback that being said i digress um after all the dust is settled the final core looks different but not necessarily worse uh than it what has been so far under reed and mahomes uh, on the outside they lost tyree kill but on the whole i think adding juju and mvs uh makes this receiving core more well-rounded uh, that leaves the top three as Juju, MVS, and Nicole Hardman as the one through three, respectively. Uh, plus, Travis Kelsey comes in at the tight end position, as always. I mean, that was a constant that was going to stay there no matter what. Well, I wouldn't say no matter what, but you you understand what I'm saying. Travis Kelsey's a guy that you can just kind of take for granted because he's been there so long. Um, credit to the front office for recognizing that once Tyreek Hill left, uh, the philosophy had to change drastically. Maybe not drastically, but it had to change from what it was because you just don't have the speed of Tyree Killen there anymore. When you've got Hill, there's an undeniable speed factor that changes the math for defenses, but without without him, I mean, that's just simply not the case anymore, and you got to adapt accordingly. So they lean more into uh, Travis Kelsey's strengths. I think he's going to be the best receiver on this team. They kind of built the receiving core around him. So bring in MVS, bring in Juju, two big athletic receivers to fill out the top of the depth chart. MVS can even really, I mean, he's been a real vertical threat. That was his main role when he was with the Packers for all those years. So, I mean, you still get a deep threat, but also get big physical receivers out there to fill out the depth chart. Now, instead of a small group built for speed, built to burn you deep, uh, they're a big group built to win 50-50 balls and generally just play physical football all around. Bottom line. Uh, The MVS and Juju pairing isn't perfect. I think MVS in particular has been plagued with drops his whole career. And that's, um, I mean, at this point, he's at the point in his career where I don't expect that that whole uh, drops thing to change too much. I think you are are what you are at a certain point in your career. And MVS is is right there, in my opinion. Um, But with Pat Mahomes throwing him the ball and Andy Reid drawing up the plays... I would not expect a large drop-off in production from this group as a whole from where they were last year, um, if there's any at all in that case. But plus, when you've got a a Hall of Fame tight end causing problems in the middle like Travis Kelsey will consistently do. He is getting older, but he is still one of the best tight ends, if not the best tight ends in the league. There's bound to be ample opportunities for those other guys uh, to make plays of their own on the outside. 
Um, I really like the way that this whole receiving core has been built up. I uh, really, really like the composition of it. It's, like I said, different, but not necessarily worse than last year. I think they might actually end up being more well-rounded when it's all said and done. But I digress. Up front, the Chiefs return all five starters. Another aspect of this unit that gives the offense uh, a high degree of flexibility. Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, and Andrew Wiley make up the starting front five. Again, same as last year. Um, not really too much to uh, to nitpick here. Uh, this this offensive line group is just one of the best units in the entire league as far as I'm concerned. There's a reason they all came back. There's a reason uh, that the team wanted to keep them all in town because they're damn, damn good together. I mean, the Chiefs were one of the best teams in the league. They were top 10 last season uh, in yards per rush, even though we don't think of them as a running team. They're very, very proficient when they decide to run. Uh, they will make basically everything easier uh, for Reed and Mahomes. Whatever they try to do in this off offense, this line will adapt accordingly. Uh, behind that line, the Chiefs bring back much of the same backfield from 2021. It's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as the starter. For now, uh, Jarek McKinnon slots, slots into that second string, and rookie Isaiah Pacheco looks poised to uh, boot Ronald Jones off the roster entirely. Again, that might have already happened, and I just didn't feel like adding it to the uh, to the roster update, but I digress. Bottom line is Isaiah Pacheco is going to take any any reps that Ronald Jones hoped to take. Uh, if It's not an elite group of backs by any means. I think CEH has looked anything but consistent at that number one spot. I mean, had some real down times over the last couple of years where Daryl Williams has stepped in and been very, very proficient at times. And Jarek McKinnon has had nagging injury troubles, uh, particularly recently, but really, really throughout his career. So there's no guarantee that McKinnon will stay healthy either. That being said... However, unlike the Tyreek Hill years, the team is now better suited for this group of, of backs to have success. Um, they're probably not going to be pushing the ball downfield as much. They're not going to be, they're, they're not built for speed anymore. They're built, built for power, which, I mean, they retain the offensive line in front of them. That's a constant. They were going to have good opportunities there anyways. And they added a pair of big receivers on the outside who are solid blockers. Both of them known as, known as being solid blockers. Uh, that's only going to create more running lanes for them. Whereas before, I mean, no disrespect to Tyreek Hill and Nicole Hardman, but both of those guys, well, I would put it this way. Neither of those guys are exactly the guys that you want blocking in front of you uh, if you're going running to the outside. I think MVS and Juju fit that description a little bit better than the uh, than the smaller, more diminutive uh, receiving core that they had back there last year. With the move to become more, more wow, with the move to become more bigger, yep, with the move to become bigger, uh, more physical group, I would expect more of a balance between run and pass uh, with what they have done in the previous years. Plus, in addition to that, uh, you may see more of those patented Andy Reid screen passes, especially with the strength of McKinnon out of the backfield. McKinnon is an absolute maven when it comes to those screen passes. I mean, that's why that's why he's over 30 years old. He's a running back, and he's still making plays in the NFL at this point in his career. Um, I think they're a solidly middle-of-the-road group, but they have great pieces around them that will put them in position to succeed better than what their, their talent might say. Watch out for Isaiah Pacheco to move up the, uh, the the depth chart here. Young rookie running back, obviously super fast if he is uh, returning kicks. Um, a guy that, I mean, I think that they would like to, to move up the 
the, the depth chart as well, just based on the cost factor. So look for him to maybe take some of Jarek McKinnon's reps as the season goes on. Maybe maybe if Clyde Edwards-Alaire doesn't come out the gates running, Clyde Edwards-Alaire slots back into that, that third spot and he gets gets poached by uh, Isaiah Pacheco. But either way, Isaiah Pacheco will factor prominently at some point in this offense. I just feel like he's. I've heard good things about him coming out of camp. Feels like he's going to end up carving out a role for himself somewhere in this offense. Um, outside of that, as a whole unit on this offense, once again, I think they'll be right near the top of the league. Uh, they got best QB in the league and a Hall of Fame coach and play caller. Uh, they got a Hall of Fame tight end, making them difficult to defend over the middle, plus one of the best offensive lines in the game. Top five is a reasonable expectation for where this offense is ultimately going to rank when it's all said and done. If they finish bottom end of the top 10, I feel like that would actually be like disappointing for what they have put together right now. I think with Mahomes, solid group of receivers, great offensive line, solid backfield, no reason to think this, this offense won't be every bit as good as it was last year, maybe even a little bit better than it was numbers-wise. Moving on to the defense, though, uh, the Chiefs were a scrappy unit who started terribly uh, but got better as the season went on. Steve Spagnolo will have a host of new challenges facing him this season, however, as there has been turnover across the board. They lost Jaron Reed, defensive end, uh, outside linebacker Melvin Ingram, free safety Tyron Matthew, and cornerback Charvarius Ward, all to free agency. All of those guys were starters last year, uh, be it through cuts or contract expiration. All those guys are no longer on the team, all of whom were starters last year, like I, like I just said, if I want to go in circles anymore. But uh, they made some additions to fill in those glaring holes, signing Carlos Dunlap uh, and safety Justin Reed. Also added Trent McDuffie and George Karloftis in the first round of this year's draft. Uh, also, linebacker Leo Chanel in the second round of this year's draft. A lot of young defenders coming in. They're going to be asking to step up right away on this team. Uh, adding all that together, not exactly a crew of all-stars in the defense, but they weren't exactly a crew of all-stars last year as well. Um, up, up front, Chris Jones is a weapon at defensive tackle, but he's surrounded by question marks at all levels. Um, Mike Dana and Derek Nottie isn't a, pair, isn't a pairing on the left side that gets offensive lines shaking in their boots. I'm assuming the hope is that rookie George Karloftis will eventually supplant uh, Dana, 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 I don't know, as, as the starter on that side of the line. Um, and Frank Clark on the other side is going to have to bounce back in, in a big way from a lackluster 2021. Um, injured, didn't get a whole lot of sack production. Uh, really a decline year for Frank Clark, to say the least. They're going to want him to step back up have double-digit sacks once again, which might be a big ask for Clark at this stage in his career, but they're going to need it from him. Uh, behind that front four, the Chiefs at least have a solid tandem of young linebackers. Got uh, Nick Bolton and Willie Gay, Hale State. Uh, but even then, they got journeyman linebacker Elijah Lee uh, starting at that third linebacker spot as of now. Much like Carl Loftus, I think the goal here is to uh, have rookie Leo Chennault uh, step into that starting spot, take it from Lee at some point this season. But as of right now, they got a, a true, true journeyman. I think he's been on like four teams in the past four years or something like that um, on their team right now with, with Elijah Lee in the starting lineup, which is not, not good. Not good at all. Um, when you look at the front seven as a whole, there's a whole lot of un unknowns. But with the young talent, there's at least hope that this could turn into a solid front. But I cannot stress enough. Whole, whole lot of holes at a lot of spots. I don't think Chris Jones 
uh, Willie Gay and Nick Bolton are enough by themselves to cover up all of the all the spots that this team needs help in. Uh, not an awesome front seven as a whole, but much like last season, the secondary is the source of most of the issues on this unit, I would say, even with the holes that they have in the front seven. Uh, Justin Reed is a solid safety to have back there, and Trent McDuffie is a talented rookie, but he's still a rookie, and Juan Thornhill and, Juan Thornhill and Legereus Sneed uh, are far from shutdown defenders on the outside as well. Uh, they added a couple good pieces this offseason in the aforementioned Reed and McDuffie, but they really didn't replace either Traverius Ward or Tyron Matthew, for that matter, when you really look at it. Both Ward and Matthew made up for a host of deficiencies in the secondary last season that I truthfully didn't see the team address this offseason outside of the draft. I mean, listen, Justin Reed is a very good player. He's not Tyron Matthew, though. I think he's a downgrade at safety. I mean, really, Tyron Matthew's a guy that you can't really replace. He's he's really the glue that held the entire defense together last season, really made them respectable at different points. Um, without him, they will suffer. Uh, this defense will be worse than it was last year. Uh, the front seven may end up rounding into form as the season goes on, but this secondary might plague them for the entire year as far as I can see it. Um, altogether, defense looks destined to be bottom middle of the pack as far as I'm concerned. I think the talent they've picked up through the draft, uh, are, you know, they're good, but that youth is more of a, uh, a hindrance than a, than a help at this point of the, of the season. Really, well, of the season, the season hasn't started yet. Of the, At this point in the stage of things, if I can say any more meaningless words, uh, Saints are releasing quarterback Ian Book. That's something, you know, that's, that's not, not really noteworthy at all. Uh, totally threw myself off of the line of thought there. But it's all keep in mind, too, this is probably not going to start well for Steve Spagnuolo because it literally never does. But they'll probably round into shape a little bit more as the, as the year goes on. It's kind of what the what the pattern of Steve Spagnuolo's units has been in the past. So uh, we'll we'll have to wait and see how they progress. But this is gonna this is shaping up to be a, a brutal brutal unit to start the year. I think that the offense is gonna have to score a whole whole lot. This team is going to uh, I think shatter just about every single over under uh, on the over side. Uh, that is that is ever set for them. Uh, that being said, uh, Vegas is, is probably kind of tired of losing money on the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs over. So probably going to get no uh, no value in that whatsoever. But they're going to be a, a points machine uh, for both teams this year, if I had to guess. Uh, on the special teams, solid unit here. Uh, I got Harrison Butker, Harry Butts, and Tommy Townsend uh, to fill out the specialist group. Butker is in a duel with Justin Tucker for best kicker in the entire league. So, I mean, no real no real uh, worries there. I mean, sometimes Butker will miss you one or two every now and again. But, obviously, one of the best, if not the best, kickers in the league. Maybe the biggest leg in the entire league. I would love to see him go to a place like, uh, like Mile High in Denver and play there consistently. He might end up getting like a 75-yard field goal in regulation if he ends up doing that. Um, you know, just, just a thought move inside the division. I mean, it's it's something that kickers do in the past. So, if he ever if he ever leaves Kansas City, good option there right in the division. But uh they lost the return weapon that Tyree Kill is. Um I mean, they still got Hardman back there who's no slouch of in his own right, but overall uh zero concern in my mind about this uh this group of specialists. I mean, they're one of the better groups in the league, one of the more stable groups in the league. I mean, Tommy Townsend had that playoff blunder a few years back, but 
otherwise has been a very solid performer, very consistent performer. So no worries there whatsoever. Optimistically looking at this whole team, I mean, there may be maybe in a few shootouts, but the offense should be strong enough to carry this team to a win in most of those games. Uh, they could very easily still win the division this season with what they have in place on the roster right now. Um, and again, with, when Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback, I think you're going to win most shootouts because the other team just simply does not have Patrick Mahomes on their sideline. Uh, pessimistically thinking, though, uh, the youth and inexperience in that defense are a big worry for me personally. Uh, I find it hard to see a scenario where the offense falls out of the top 10 defensively, uh, but I could very easily see it, the, the the defense ranking in the 20s, if not even lower than that. Uh, they they play in the gauntlet of in a gauntlet of the division of a division. Jesus Christ, I could not have said that more awkwardly. Um, but if if the pass rush doesn't get home. The QBs, they're going to they're going to completely eviscerate this secondary. Uh, that's kind of what comes with this division. I mean, even good defenses in this division are going to have depressed numbers just because of the comp- competition they have to face. So that's going to be something to watch. Might be something that holds the Chiefs back when it's all said and done. Overall, outside of the obvious turnover of players and philosophical shift on the offensive side of the ball, I think this team doesn't look all that different from last year. The offense will be spectacular. Um, the defense will likely start terribly before rounding into a little bit better shape uh, as the season goes on. Margins for error in the AFC West are going to be razor, razor thin, so winning the division may prove to be uh, difficult, but I think they have the horses in place to make a run at it. Beyond the division, there's no question in my mind that with Pat Mahomes and Reed, uh, if the Chiefs get to the playoffs, which, which they should with this team, They'll have a solid shot to uh, make a Super Bowl run, no matter what they're uh, they're seated. Quite frankly, all right, had to power through that last bit of the uh, the Chiefs conversation there, because I had a had a old PSP combo brewing. That's a piss shit and a pet of my dog, if you were wondering at home. But I digress. Moving on uh, away from the battle talk, we have got the Las Vegas Raiders next up on the list in the AFC West. The Raiders probably had more off-field incidents and distractions uh, than anyone else last season from the Henry Ruggs tragedy uh, to 2020 first-round pick Damon Arnett getting caught on video, putting a gun, pulling a gun, and threatening to kill someone, then subsequently being cut by the team uh, to the entire Gruden saga outside of that with the emails and the, the calling Roger Goodell an anti-football pussy and, and hitting the clean sweep of... Uh, what, what was it? Women, minorities, and uh, the commissioner of the NFL. I mean, that's always the golden triangle that everyone thinks of when they think of, of groups that are going to be offended. Um, either way, I digress on that front. That's all to say, big old shit show in Las Vegas last year, but how else would you have it in Las Vegas, right? Uh, that being said, the fact that they were still able to weather all of that and make it to the playoffs is a credit to how strong the leadership is in that locker room a strength that has seemed to only intensify this offseason. So with that said, let's get into the offense specifically first and foremost. Um, really, they only improved this offseason. They hired Josh McDaniels as the head coach, and I assume he will be assuming the play calling duties as well. Um, they already have Derek Carr, who definitively proved to me last season I was on the on the fence about him at the beginning of last year, but the way he played down the stretch, I mean, he's a real franchise quarterback in my mind. No question, top 10 performer. Um, 
just based on his performance last season alone. Uh, so the situation at the top is better than it was the entirety of the Gruden-Mayock regime, I would say. In my opinion, from a game plan and scheme perspective, Josh McDaniels certainly, I mean, more stable, more, I mean, detail-oriented, I would imagine. I would imagine Gruden's play sheet is a little bit bigger than uh, Josh McDaniels, but that's just because Gruden's play sheet is, is massive. Everyone knows that. It's always been the, uh, the big... <laughs> big joke with him. Um, but just like everyone else, they did have some turnover. Uh, they lost Zay Jones to the Jags, wide receiver from last year, um, in their offensive spending spree. I mean, Zay Jones got entirely too much money for what he produced, but I digress on that front. Uh, also lost Demarcus Robinson, fullback Alec Engle to free agency as well. Um, I would argue that they added, what they added was a lot more significant, however. They did trade for Devontae Adams, which you might remember, uh, who, for my money, best receiver in the entire league. I mean, Cooper Cup has got an argument of his own, but Devontae Adams is just disgusting. Absolutely. I mean, he brings everything to the table that you would ask for from Cooper Cup, just bigger, more athletic than Cooper Cup. So, I mean, that's that's my number one guy. Uh, they also added Mac Hollins and Keelan Cole to fill out the depth on this uh, on this roster in this receiving core. Uh, they also added Jacob Johnson over from the Patriots to fill the hole that Alec Ingold left at fullback. Signed Amir Abdullah to play scat back and uh, drafted UGA running back. Zamir White, one of that four-headed monster at UGA last year, out of the fourth round uh, to play second fiddle behind Josh Jacobs there in that backfield. After all that movement, the receiving core is Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, who signed a two-year extension this offseason, and the aforementioned Keelan Cole at the one through three, respectively. And lest we forget, maybe the best tight end in the entire league right now, Darren Waller, factors prominently in the Raiders' passing game. This is definitely... One of the best groups in the league as far as just raw weapons are concerned. Devontae Adams might be possibly the best receiver in the league, but Renfro clearly cut number one in his own right. I mean, he with what he did last season, I mean, he basically just played like a cross between Julian Edelman and uh, Cooper Cup. I think I just had to pull out all the white receivers in my head at that point to combine into this one white receiver named Hunter. Uh, either way, jokes aside... He was an absolute tactician last year, one of the better wide receivers in the league. I think he could probably make an argument to be paid more than what he got. But yeah, Adams and Renfro might be the best tandem of route runners in the entire league. And Josh McDaniels, his offense tends to work the underneath consistently. So that bodes well for success on both of those guys' fronts. I think Renfro and Adams are primed to have monster, monster years. That's before you really even factor in Darren Waller, who is a complete matchup nightmare in the middle of the field. Even when he is covered, he is completely open at all times. He's just so big, so athletic, so strong. I mean, and he's got such chemistry with Derek Carr. He's... Really, the safety blanket of all safety blankets out there. You love to have a guy like Darren Waller in your building at all times. If, if you can get him, which most teams can't. Uh, if Adams can stretch the field vertically, I think that trio is going to be absolutely unguardable with Carr throwing them the ball. I think I had some I had some, some reservations about Carr in previous years, but with what he put on tape last season, I have full faith in him. I mean, if all of those guys play their roles to perfection... 
one of those guys is going to end up open basically every time they run a pass play, as long as the offensive line can hold. We'll, we'll talk about them in just a second, but this is an absolutely really, really high caliber group of weapons that the Raiders have on the outside, and they got them locked up for a good period too, so I really like what the Raiders are building on the outside there. Uh, on the offensive line, things seem mostly consistent from where they were at the end of last season. Uh, only newcomer to the starting lineup being Lester Cotton Sr., who I truthfully do not know at all. I mean, I've, I've heard the name before. I think he's been in and around the league, but can't tell you when, can't tell you where. I mean, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, these names just kind of stick in my brain. So, I mean, no, I've heard him before. Definitely seen him before. Uh, don't know how good at playing an offensive line he is, quite frankly. But... Generally, continuity is is a good thing when you when you look at it. But and I still think it's a good thing in this cir- circumstance. But I think it only helps so much, only to a certain extent. Uh, this is still a unit that ranked twenty second in sacks allowed last season and twenty uh, fifth in yards per rush. So I mean, you would have expected this team to go out and bring in some help, but all they got was rookie third rounder Dylan Parham. Uh, and seventh rounder Thayer Munford, neither of whom are in the starting lineup at this point in time. So, I mean, they add to that. On top of that, uh, the team looks poised to either release or trade tackle Alex Leatherwood. Um, we'll find out here shortly. Y'all will probably know before I do, uh, but that'll likely thrust either Parham or Munford into the starting lineup right away, which I guess probably wasn't the plan for them. Uh, when you look at this offensive line in totality, it's the one area of this offense that, that could sink the entire ship when it gets right down to it. Um, really shaky offensive line. They weren't necessarily great last year, and they didn't add to that at all. So a, a persistent problem coming back from what they had last year. Behind them, the backfield is good, but I wouldn't say good enough to overcome what's in front of them on the line. you got Josh Jacobs heading up the group after being the most abused back in the whole league over his tenure with the Raiders. I mean, they have run him into bad offensive lines over and over again, giving him 30 carries in, in games where he averaged like less than four yards per carry. Uh, and then a trend that I expect to continue, because um, he started this preseason in the Hall of Fame game, um, declined his fifth-year option, and they signed. They, they started him in the in the Hall of Fame game, first preseason game of the year. With I think he might have been the only real starter playing because I, I guess Josh, not Josh Allen, Josh McDaniels likes to get his running backs a lot of reps to start the season. So hey. Fuck your knees. Get those reps in, my guy. Am I right? But behind Jacobs, it's rookie Zamir White, who I would expect to get more and more run as the season progresses. He's young, talented, and most importantly from a team perspective, especially in the modern NFL where running backs are so devalued, he is cheap. Cheap on that rookie deal, and you're going to have him on that rookie deal for a couple years, having just drafted him. So looking at the tea leaves, White will probably be the day one starter in 2023 uh, when Jacobs inevitably walks in free agency. Um, That being said, looking at the present, not a bad tandem of backs to have back there. Again, though, I say behind that offensive line, both of these guys will likely be looking at more more to the receiving game for their production this season because there's not going to be a whole lot of open running lanes unless teams really start stacking the outside against these these receivers and Darren Waller. But out, outside of that possibility, they're going to have some real trouble running the ball at points just because of that offensive line. Um, on the whole, 
looking at the skill positions for the Raiders, all the, all the offensive line, the backs. I mean, the Raiders offense is as good as any of the top offense in the league when you just look at those skill positions. But the weakness on the offensive line likely going to keep them out of the upper echelons of the league rankings when you really look at it. Even with that, however, the weapons on the outside in combination with Derek Carr will be absolutely prolific this year. Especially, we'll talk about the defense in just a second. But I got a feeling, let's just say, without getting without getting into too many spoilers on that side, that uh, I don't expect the, uh, the, the Raiders to be playing with a whole lot of leads this season, let's just say. So... I think they're going to get a lot of garbage time yards. I think they're going to get a whole whole lot of passing yards. I think Derek Carr may end up leading the league in passing when it's all said and done, which would ultimately pad the uh, the stats on the offensive side. I think they're going to end up, going to end up being ranked very highly, but they got some really uh, key holes that are going to end up holding them back when it's all said and done, if I had to say. Moving on to the defense, uh, there was a bit more overhaul from last season than we saw on the offensive side of the ball. They traded Yannick Ngakwe to the Colts straight up for Rocky Sin. Need for need makes a lot of sense. Talked about that before on the podcast a couple months ago when it happened. Um, also lost both starting corners, Casey Hayward and Brandon Faison. Uh, and defensive tackle Quentin Richardson to free agency. Uh, but they did also make some significant additions this offseason, adding the aforementioned Rocky Asin via trade, uh, defensive end Chandler Jones, uh, yeah, defensive end Chandler Jones, really stumbled over that at the end, uh, defensive tackle Bilal Nichols, uh, inside linebacker Jay Brown, Jayon Brown, rather, uh, and a host of rotational DBs through free agency, uh, looking particularly at that front seven the D-line is a strength of this group. Max Crosby and uh, Chandler Jones provide a potent pass rush combo that should at least, I mean, equaling what Crosby and Ngakwe did last season, it's going to be a tall task. But I think they bring roughly the same element from last year. I think Chandler Jones, not quite as consistent as, we, as we've seen Ngakwe be over the past several seasons since he's routed into form uh, in his prime here. But... Still a very solid play, player uh, tandem. Uh, two guys that could both make the Pro Bowl um, if, if you need it. Well, you certainly need it and got nothing to do with it. You want them to both make the Pro Bowl. I think Max Crosby definitely has an insider out there. Chandler Jones will take up enough coverage on the other side to where Max Crosby is going to end up having big sack production this year, I think. Uh, big question is going to be Chandler Jones on the other side, though. Uh, getting older, I feel like he's sneaky young, though. He's always. I always feel like Chandler Jones is... A little bit younger than I think he is, but still over the age of 30. Uh, we'll have to see what's left in the tank there. Uh, only real question mark up front uh, with Bilal Nichols slotting in there uh, at defensive tackle from Chicago, providing solid run defense. Uh, only real question mark is Andrew Billings, who was cut by the Browns midseason and never returned to the field, but has somehow stumbled his way into a starting job in Vegas with the Raiders. Not sure how that happened, but here we are. Uh, that tells me this unit is thin, but the top line could certainly be a whole lot worse, in my opinion. Uh, moving on from the defensive line to the linebacking core, uh, they returned two starters from the end of the 2020, uh, the 2021 year in Denzel Perryman and Divine Diablo, uh, while bringing in Jayon Brown from the Titans uh, to take that third spot. Not, not a particularly strong group. Uh, Divine Diablo it is in just his second year, uh, so there's always a possibility that he makes a big jump, but there's a lot to be desired with the uh, the rest of the crew. 
Uh, Jayon Brown has had trouble staying on the field and has been on a steady decline over the past few seasons. He had a career uh, career year about three seasons ago with the Titans. Then the last couple seasons has not not been able to stay on the field at all. Uh, the strongest of the group is obviously Denzel Perryman, uh, who was a tackling machine last year. I think he ended up with like 150 or something like that. But even he was a liability in pass coverage when it was all said and done. Uh, really, one of one of his never really been known as a strong pass coverage guy, but didn't have a great year last year in that department. On the whole, this front seven um, has some strong pass rush with Crosby and uh, and uh, Chandler Jones and. That would appear to be a serviceable, what would appear to be a serviceable run defense in place. Uh, but there are some serious questions about how they are going to perform in coverage. Uh, so that kind of cancels them out. As, you know, they're about average, I would say, when it's all said and done along that, uh, that front seven group. A great pass rush. Might not need it quite so much because I think they might be playing from behind a lot. But I think a lot of that playing from behind uh, is going to be due to the secondary. This secondary uh, does not look like it will be doing them a whole lot of favors. I mean, they added Rocky Sin, a uh, solid number one quarter to put there. And, man, I mean, boy, Jonathan Abram, I mean, he can come up and hit somebody, right? I mean, really uh, exciting player to watch. Uh, but outside of that, uh, the cupboard is bare, my, my ladies and gentlemen. Uh Yasin is truly the only proven guy in pass coverage back there. I mean, Jonathan Abram, uh, proven liability, in fact, covering on the back end. Uh, well, Nate Hobbs, Nate Hobbs and Trayvon Murig, I think I got that right. Weird little German name there. Uh, they're both entering their second seasons in the league off after having, I mean, you saw how the, how the secondary performed last year. Not awesome first years in the league, if I had to guess, but you're going to expect a little bit of uh, progression from them, I suppose. Uh they signed plenty of rotational players in free agency, but they needed to bring in uh, more starters than Rocky Sin to really fix the issues on the back end. They're going to be, it, it's, I'm, I'm not going to go as far as to say free access on the back end, but you don't really have a free safety back there that you can trust to uh, cover up holes. Rocky Sin's going to do his job. I mean, he's going to do what he can, but on the other side, Nate Hobbs doesn't instill a whole lot of confidence quarterbacks if, if they can hold their blocks on the front line which I mean it's a, it's a, it's a big if with Crosby and, and Chandler Jones coming at you but in a lot of cases if they can hold those blocks for a little bit of time they're gonna have plenty plenty of options to choose from uh with that busted coverage on the back end I mean this is not a secondary that looks good at all uh when you look at the entire defense on the whole the pass rush is going to be fun to watch but after that I don't think this unit is going to be very good. The secondary is every bit as porous as it was last season, and the linebackers uh, leave a lot to be desired in pass coverage in front of them. At best, I could see them being bottom middle of the pack, maybe late teens, and realistically, I think they're ultimately going to end up somewhere in the 20s, whether that be early 20s or late 20s. I think it all, again, it all kind of comes down to what they do in coverage, but not a group that I am even confident in a little bit this season. I love the pass rush, but everything else is just a who boy, who boy. Um, looking at the special teams, though, the Raiders are coming off a season where both punter A.J. Cole and kicker Daniel Carson made the Pro Bowl. A.J. Cole led the league in, uh, in net yards. I think he had 50 per punt, which is just absurd, absolutely absurd average. He, every single punt, he's getting 50 yards. That is 
absolutely incredible. So as unconcerned as I was about the Chiefs specialist situation, I am equally, if not even less concerned about the Raiders special teams. Uh, also, adding in Amir Abdullah to handle kicks should only help them in the return game. Uh, no worries whatsoever on the specialist side, but that's not where most of the problems are going to present themselves for this team. Um, looking optimistically, looking at this season through the rose-tinted glasses, if you want to say that, uh, if the passing game is good enough to carry the offense and the pass rush is able to wreak havoc, uh, wreck opposing game plans rather consistently, uh, this team could certainly push for 10 wins. The offense they have on the, the weapons they have on offense rather are staggering. So I would I could certainly see that unit making up for for some defensive lapses. Uh, pessimistically thinking, offensive line's not great, and the secondary is even worse than they are. Uh, probably going to play a lot of entertaining games and a lot of shootouts at that. But with the strength of the AFC West, the weakness of the defense, I find it hard to see this team finishing in the top half of the division even with the strength of the offensive skill positions. Overall, I'm more inclined to lean towards the pessimistic end of the spectrum with this team. Uh, Derek Carr might end up leading the league in passing, but that will most likely be due to his line being unable to open up running lanes consistently and his defense uh, providing scant resistance to opposing teams. Uh, I think seven or eight wins seems like the level I would put them at this season given the, uh, the strength of the division they're going to be facing up against six times this year. But we are already an hour and a half into the podcast, so I'm going to move right down the list here. We have got the Los Angeles Chargers. Chargers had an incredibly Chargers season last year. Started 4-1, and one, lost three of the next four, won three, won three of the next three, what the fuck? I think won three of the next four after that, uh, then finished the season in what only feels right, like the right way, losing three of their next four, including two overtime losses among them game game of runs you must say game of runs most prominent of which uh being the season finale which saw them uh just barely missing the playoffs after looking like they were going to a tie uh then giving up some yards for a good field goal and, and yeah rest rest is history there whole whole kind of messed up situation there on that one. Not going to get into that because it's ancient history at this point. But uh, if I had to describe the season in one word, it would be roller coaster. Pretty much a good way to describe that. Uh, this season, GM Tom Telesco recognized this is going to be the last season they've got Justin Herbert on a rookie deal and emptied the clip accordingly. This year, Bolts come in with possibly best roster in the entire league and starting on the offense. Personnel is mostly unchanged. Signed Gerald Everett, let Jared Cook walk, but otherwise same cast as last year. Uh, Justin Herbert enters his third season as the Chargers starter coming off a year, a career year in 2021. Uh, also retains offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi, who has seen some criticism here recently. I mean, maybe push the ball downfield a little bit more, Joe, but I digress on that front because we don't got a lot of time. Uh, his receivers are Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and second-year man Joshua Palmer at the one through three, respectively. Uh, not necessarily a deep group, but Keenan Allen, Mike Williams make a formidable tandem. Williams provides a downfield presence, while Keenan Allen, yeah, Keenan Allen, Keenan Alien, Keenan the Alien uh, uses his route running prowess to carve up the underneath. Justin Herbert throwing them the ball. Uh, the group might not be deep, but it is certainly going to be adequate to make a Super Bowl run down the line. Well, not if, when they need him. Uh, overall, like I said, not a top flight group of receivers, but I would say 
They're just a rung below that level. Uh, the real strength of this offense is up front, where left tackle, left tackle uh, Rashawn Slater, uh, right or left guard Matt Filer, uh, center Corey Lindsley, and right tackle Storm Norton all return from last year's team. Uh, they did re-sign Storm Norton. That being said, that right tackle does seem to be the most uh, shaky position on that offensive line. A uh, lone change from last year was the first-round pick, Zion Johnson, slotting in there at that right guard spot next to Norton. Uh, offensive line was already strong last year with then-rookie Rashawn Slater uh, proving to be a linchpin on that team. Uh, right out of the gates, uh, now adding Zion Johnson, this could be one of the best, if not the best, offensive line in the entire league, much like the Chiefs, but even more so in this case, the strength of the offensive line gives the Chargers a great deal of flexibility with how they want to attack the defense. I think the Chiefs might have a little bit stronger group of weapons overall, but the Chargers just got a stronger line when you look at it. That particularly benefits the backfield led by Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly. Rookie Isaiah Spiller, uh, who the team drafted in the fourth round, is currently third in the depth chart. Uh, they lost Josh Jackson this offseason, so uh, Joshua Kelly's going to have to step up, be in that second role. Uh, with a line like they have in front of them, Eckler and Kelly are set up for success in a variety of ways. Main questions, uh, as always, is health. Uh, Eckler has had nagging injuries in the past, and he's not exactly a, the young guy in the room anymore, so that should be something we should watch. Um they lost last year's backup, Josh Jackson, like I just said, to free agency. So Kelly's going to have to step up into that second role. Uh, that being said, when Kelly was in, he wasn't the most efficient runner. Um, he had just over three yards per carry. I think, granted, only on 30-some carries. Uh, but while he was being set up to, uh, to succeed, his success is far from guaranteed on that front. Um, hopefully, Spiller can step in, uh, step up, take on a larger role in that offense as the season goes on. Otherwise, uh, overall, uh, the top line is rock solid with Eckler, but they're one injury away from a sticky situation behind Eckler. Uh, health is going to be paramount for Eckler this year in particular. Uh, they're going to have to manage him really throughout the year as it goes on if they want to keep that backfield performing at tip-top shape. On the whole, I think this offense is going to end up being in the top 10 in most categories, the brilliance of Justin Herbert in tandem with a solid group of weapons should yield some exciting results to watch this season. But again, I can't stress it enough. They're going to have to be very cautious with the health of Austin Eckler because without him, there seems to be a dearth of talent in that backfield. Uh, the line should be able to compensate for some of that, but the Chargers are going to need Eckler down the stretch if they want to make a Super Bowl run, uh, really just a playoff run come January. Moving on to the defense, this is really the area that uh, Tom Telesco's championship push was focused in free agency and trades. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Telesco knows that this is probably his last season that he's going to have Justin Herbert on a rookie deal. Uh, after this season, Herbert is going to be eligible for an extension, and I would anticipate him being offered and signing one relatively quickly, like like probably within a week after that uh, that. That clock starts ticking for him, I would say, uh, once the new league year starts, rather. Uh, this is the last shot Tom Telesco is going to have. Uh, he's going to get before, probably the last and best shot he's going to get at putting together a super team through acquisitions. And the biggest area of need was this defense coming out of last season. Last season, Chargers had an inconsistent at best. 
uh, of times defense and a porous defense at the worst of times. Did I say that awkwardly enough for you? It's been a theme of this episode thus far. But that that is to say uh, this team did go out addressed all of that in a big big way uh they did lose kaiser they did lose kaiser white and uh uchenna nuosu as well as defensive tackle justin jones in free agency but in turn they acquired khalil mack via trade and signed cornerback jc jackson as well as defensive tackle sebastian joseph day and austin johnson also trimmed some fat letting go of a few of the older veterans such as chris harris and linval joseph uh, the end product is a formidable unit compared to what they had last season. Front seven, they got 2019 first-round pick Jerry Tillery slotting in next to Austin Johnson and Sebastian, Sebastian Joseph Day on the line while Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa uh, are coming off the edge. Meanwhile, Drew, Qu- Drew Tranquil returns from a, a less-than-tranquil, solid 2021 season uh, and 2020 first round pick Kenneth Murray looks to stay healthy at inside linebacker uh, rock solid group from top to bottom uh, their signings and free agency sort up the uh, defensive line and the addition of Cleo Mack finally gives the Chargers a viable pass rusher opposite to pair with uh, Joey Bosa if we want to find any potential concerns Drew Tranquil isn't necessarily an all-world performer you don't necessarily feel tranquil when he's the one starting in the lineup and Kenneth Murray has had nagging health problems uh, since lighting it up in his rookie season. In fact, both have had a checkered injury history, uh, so the health of that pair may end up being the X factor for this front seven when it's all said and done. Overall, it's a front seven that can do anything you ask of them. Uh, They've got great run defenders anchoring the interior defensive line and great pass rushers on the outside. Really one of the better front sevens in the entire league, barring the health of the inside linebackers, as I just stated. This should be a fun, fun unit to watch. And uh, behind them, newly acquired J.C. Jackson slops slops in, yep, he slops it all up in that number one corner role uh, opposite of Michael Davis, who's currently in a competition with Asante Samuel Jr., who took that starting job last year at various points. Um, Michael Davis takes the place of outgoing Chris Harris Jr., who had a long, long, cr- successful career with them, but uh, really just got long in the tooth when it was all said and done. Uh, behind them, it's Nasir Adderley at free safety and the dynamic Derwin James at strong safety. That leaves Asante Samuel Jr. out of the starting lineup after a solid rookie campaign in 2021, which tells me this is a deep, deep defensive backfield. And like I said, no guarantee that Asante Samuel Jr., doesn't crack into the uh, the starting lineup as we move into week one here because he is apparently, from what I've heard, specifically from Mina Kimes, so you know who to yell out if I'm wrong, um, this is a, a, a competition that's coming right down to the wire between Michael Davis and Asante Samuel Jr., so we'll have to watch that. But fact of the matter is, if Asante Samuel Jr. is not starting after the year he had, I mean, it's, it's a great back end they've got back there. I mean, having J.C. Jackson... Uh, slotting at that number one corner is so crucial for this group. Uh, legit shutdown corner with the Chargers haven't had, didn't have last season. Now Jackson can neutralize the other team's number one receiver. Uh, and the rest of the defense uh, just has to focus on, on their job. Or they can go the uh, the New England route, double team the uh, their, their number one, sorry, double team the number one receiver. Like, so you say you have got like Calvin Johnson, then Golden Tate on one side, right? Obviously, Calvin Johnson's the number one receiver, so you double him, put the number one corner, the shutdown corner, that would be J.C. Jackson in this circumstance, on Golden Tate. 
I see a lot of teams trying to do that. That's the the Patriots' bread and butter, what they've done to, to shut down passing games over really the entire time that Bill Belichick has been there. So that might be something they look into as well. But now, now Jackson can just neutralize the, the team's number one receiver, like I was saying before, the number two receiver, and the rest of the defense just has to focus on what they're doing. Now, all of a sudden, Duran James can get freed up to make more insane instinctive athletic plays. Now, Sierra Adderley uh, might get the flexibility to make a few extra plays elsewhere. Michael Michael Davis might get more favorable matchups on the other side, uh, playing that uh, that double-team role. Uh, everyone benefits by having a guy like that uh, to block out one side of the field. On that point, I think Derwin James is going to play more free than ever, knowing that Jackson can prevent a lot of mistakes in that secondary. I would be remiss, though, uh, if I didn't mention that J.C. Jackson did recently have ankle surgery. It's going to be out of at least the first few weeks, I would say. I think it was two to four weeks, uh, and that happened last week. So, hey, he might be back for week one, uh, probably back for either week two or or three, if I had to guess. Um, uh, That's going to be a situation to monitor because, as I just laid out above, Chargers really, really need him if they want to make a run at this. He's a crucial, crucial part, really the linchpin that holds that entire secondary together. As a group, the secondary may or may not be the, the Saints or the Bills level necessarily, but whatever level is right below that is about where I, where they fell, in my opinion. They're a very quality group. If J.C. Jackson can play consistently, got to manage that injury situation that's really worrying that he already has an ankle or in, ankle injury this early in camp. But if you, if you manage that situation, if he stays healthy, I mean, this is a very, very good secondary as a whole combine this front seven with that back end uh this defense went from being a liability at times last season to being absolutely on par with the level of the offense uh the pass rush will be fierce the coverage behind it's going to be formidable as long as they can provide or prove that they they can stop the run consistently the only thing keeping this defense from being top 10 will be the offenses that they have to go up against, in my opinion. I think the uh, the numbers are not going to be great because they're going to have a lot of vaunted offenses that they're going up against. But moving on from the defense to the special teams, uh, Chargers brought back, back, Dusk, Dust, yeah, they brought back Dusty Hopkins uh, for his second season as the kicker. As the kicker, yep, fucking hell, these words today. And uh, after parting ways with Ty Long, signed former Packers punter J.K. Scott. Uh, Hopkins is fine. He may hit a cold streak at some point, but that's just because he's a middle-of-the-road kicker. And that's, you know, not a slight. He's, you know, middle-of-the-road kicker still, can still kick till or 40. Don't get me wrong here. But he'll likely do just fine this season if I had to venture a guess. Uh, J.K. Scott is a bit more of a question mark. He had, He was facing... Hostile wins in Green Bay, but even so, uh, never really seemed to adapt to those wind conditions. Not really a great sign for longevity as a punter. Not convinced that he's going to ultimately be the long-term answer at punter, but hey, perhaps he's he's worked on his craft in, in his downtime. Maybe he's a little bit better than he was last time we saw him. Uh, certainly young, so it's worth a flyer, I suppose. Overall, I put this group of specialists slightly below average with the, uh, with the addition of J.K. Scott. Um, no guarantees that both these guys finish the season on this team. I think J.K. Scott could get cut. Uh, Dustin Hopkins could, could could hit a cold streak and get get cut as well. Not not the uh, not the situation that you'd love to see as a Chargers fan, knowing the pass of this team in uh, clutch situations. But looking at the whole team, optimistically, this roster was built to win a Super Bowl this year, not next year, not the year after that. This 
year. Tom Telesco has put together a spectacular defense to pair with a dynamic offense led by Justin Herbert. They can make it through the gauntlet of the AFC West. The Chargers will have every opportunity in the world to make a run at the Super Bowl and capture it before they have to pay Justin Herbert all the money in the world. Uh, pessimistically thinking they have some depth, depth issues on the offensive side and a pair of inside linebackers who have sustained big injuries in the past. Uh, if this team catches the injury bug with the margin of error being as slim as it is in the AFC West, uh, the Chargers could slip down to 9 or 10 wins in the regular season, I would say. But even with that pessimistic view, you can tell I'm very high on this Chargers team. I, I think this Chargers team is one of the best rosters in the entire NFL. I think they're one of the best teams in the entire NFL, but the, the, the Chargers have disappointed me with those sorts of predictions in the past. I, like I've said a couple times at this point, Tom Telesco knew this was, this was the best shot that he was going to get uh, to go all in and make a run, and that's precisely what he did. In any other division, I would say that this is probably a 12-win at least team, probably even more wins than that. Um, in the AFC West, though, I think 10 or 11 is probably going to end up being the number for, for them. Uh, it, the team is undeniably strong, but the division as a whole is undeniably strong in its own right, and that's all... That will no doubt uh, take a toll on the Chargers' overall record. They're probably not going to get the, the number one overall seed, even if they do win this division. But they're make no mistake about it, maybe the best team in the entire AFC, a team that is hungry, hungry for a Super Bowl, desperate for it, I would even say, this year. Uh, moving out from the Chargers to the final team in the division, only, what, an hour, 49 minutes into this recording. Anyways, not not spending a whole lot of time on that. Got the Denver Broncos. Broncos were last in the division in 2021. Had a solid overall team, but trotting out Teddy Two Gloves uh, and Drew Locke just isn't going to cut it in a division that is as stacked as it is. Uh, this season, the Broncos have retooled at all levels, look primed to elevate their play uh, to the level of their fellow competitors in this division. Looking specifically at the offense, well, first and foremost, uh, they not only brought in an offensive head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, who comes in from the Packers after spending all that time with Aaron Rodgers, and you may remember him putting together a solid, solid offense around Blake Bortles down with Jacksonville. They got him in the building. They also traded for Russell Wilson. Uh... They went from Vic Fangio and Teddy Bridgewater uh, slash Drew Locke last season to Hackett and Wilson this year. Not a bad upgrade, I would say, from an offensive perspective. Uh, beyond the QB and head coach, Broncos were forced to uh, trade Noah Fant to the Seahawks as part of that Russell Wilson trade. So they, they drafted uh, Greg Dolchich in the third round and of this draft. In, in 2020, fourth rounder uh, Albert, all right, I practiced this, Okwubunam. O Okwubunam, yep, Albert Okwubunam uh, moves into the starting role as the starting tight end. Uh, from now on, I'm just going to call him Alio, uh, but Alio, as I'm going to refer to him here, uh, increased his receptions threefold in 2021 after playing only four games in his rookie year. That still only yielded 33 receptions, though, so he's certainly an unknown player, to say the least. Uh, I know even less about old Dolcich Deleche, uh, who they just drafted out of UCLA, uh, it's a young tight end room, uh, and both Alio and Greg Dolchich should uh, or will will need to step up. Not should, no should about it. Definitely will need to step up if the Broncos want a uh, well-rounded passing game with what they have on the outside. That said, 
Russell Wilson wasn't exactly known for throwing to tight ends in his time with Seattle. So, I mean, the, the impact of this is, is yet to be seen. We'll have to see. They'll probably do a little bit more blocking than receiving this season, if I had to guess. Uh, with the exception of the QB, however, uh, the offense has essentially the same personnel as last season. On the outside, it's Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, and KJ Hamler at one through three, respectfully. Alio slots in at the tight end. Uh, top, solid top receiver in Cortland Sutton. Yeah, Cortland Sutton. My God, these words today. Uh, but the cupboard gets a little bare after that. Tim Patrick would have played a prominent role in this passing game. Probably would have either slotted in at number one or number two receiver for this team. But he was lost for uh, for the year early in camp. So Jerry Judy will have to step up at that number two spot. Uh, Judy's always had been a great route runner. I mean, it's the big reason why he got drafted uh, so highly coming out of college. I believe 12th overall uh, coming into his rookie year. But health and drops have plagued him since he entered the league. Uh, with Russell Wilson at QB and Tim Patrick out, you would expect a significant uptick in production from uh, from Jerry Judy. But Health and concentration will remain a concern until he proves that he can stay on the field and consistently catch passes that he's supposed to catch. So, I mean, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how he, he performs. I think it's going to be a big X factor as to how this whole receiving core performs. Uh, that's before you even get to K.J. Hamler uh, at three, who made all of five catches in three games last year uh, following 30 receptions in his rookie year in 2020. I mean, looking at this group as a whole, Russell Wilson will make this group perform above the level that they showed last season. But after Cortland Sutton, there's really no guaranteed successes in this receiving core. No guys that you can really count on on a consistent basis. They're just a lot of a lot of unknowns overall. Uh, I'd rank them firmly in the middle of the pack relative to the other receiving units in this league. Um, not a group that I'm particularly impressed with, but they have an, a top flight quarterback throwing them the ball. So it should end up working out at least to a certain extent. Uh, up front, they return mostly the same unit that they did last season. Uh, they let Bobby Massey go. And, and so, you know, Calvin uh, Anderson, guy I definitely heard of, steps in as the starter at right tackle. Outside of that, however, the other four team, well, the other four rather on the offensive line, remain constant. They got left tackle Garrett Bowles, left guard Dalton Reiser, Reisner, uh, center Lloyd Cushenberry, the Cush Dog himself, the third. Um, let me see. Raiders are trading cornerback Trayvon Mullen to the Cardinals. So, I mean, hey, I guess major DB help there. Just talking about the Raiders, didn't even see Trayvon Mullen there. So, I mean, hey, that that's something. That That's something, I suppose. But, hey, another move there. That's an update. Uh, getting back to it, though. Where was I? Oh, yes. Uh, got rid of Bobby Massey. Um, but, yeah, you got Lloyd Cushenberry at... Lloyd Cushenberry the third, the Cush Dog at center, uh, right guard. You got Quinn Quinn Miners, Quinn Meaners. It's it's hard to say exactly how you pronounce that name. One of those weird uh, German, uh, Western European sorts of names. But the big news here, Quinn Meaners, Meaners. We're gonna call him Meaners. Uh, got a big old red redheaded white guy on our hands here, folks. He is interesting looking dude. I mean, he is really. Every, every white hippie that you've seen on the beach, if he added about 150 pounds to his frame, um, interesting guy to watch. Don't know a damn thing about him, but a very, very interesting headshot on the ESPN website for Quinn Mainers. I would, I would highly, I would highly encourage everyone to go look up that dreadheaded son of a bitch there. Um, 
Moving Massey out and inserting a younger player should lead to improvement at the right tackle spot, but this offense ranked dead center of the pack in pass block win rate last season at 16 and in the bottom half of the league in sacks allowed. Um, now you bring in Russell Wilson at QB, who is notorious for holding the ball forever and taking unnecessary sacks on top of that. Uh, I'm no offensive line expert, but if I had to guess, just venture a guess out there, I'd say the Broncos will will once again rank in the bottom half of the league in sacks allowed. If anything, I would expect an increase from the 40 sacks they allowed last season. Uh, on the ground, this proved to be a solid run-blocking group, however. They ranked top 10 in yards per carry as a team and retained both their backs from last season in uh, Melvin Gordon and uh, Javante Williams, so big strength there. Uh, when you look at the crew as a whole, I'm not sure this is a terrible group by any stretch, but I'm also not sure there's one guy you can pick out and say, yeah, he's definitely an above-average player. I think that basically flatline and all baseline here, not really, not really a, a bad group, not really a great group. As a group, I put them squarely in the middle of the pack, much like the offense. Uh, Garrett Bowles has had well, well-documented holding troubles in the past, but uh, outside of him, there's no one that I would expect to shoot the team in the foot. Also, no one I would expect to elevate this group's overall level and take them to the next level of performance. Uh, behind that line, though, as I briefly alluded to there, the Broncos retain Melvin Gordon, uh, so the duo of Javante Williams and Gordon returns for yet another season. Very, very lethal duo last season. One of the better running back duos in the league last year. Uh, they got a solid run blocking group in front of them like I just laid out. Uh, and they're both talented runners in their own right. Uh, so I would expect another big year from this duo this year. Uh, Looking at the way the personnel is shaken out, I would expect Nathaniel Hackett to lean heavily on his backfield uh, to, create, to create better opportunities for the receivers down the line. Talked about it a little bit earlier. I mean, this receiving core, it's solid, but not great. It's not really like an above average group. So you're going to need a, a, few more, a few more easy opportunities. Definitely wouldn't hurt this, uh, this group of receivers. With a backfield like this, uh, Teams are, are going to be forced to uh, keep seven or more in the box, which is going to give guys like Sutton, Judy, and Hamler consistent one-on-one -on -one opportunities on the outside, which Russell Wilson will certainly take care of. He's done that for years and years in Seattle. Uh, unless the Broncos are being forced to, uh, to play catch-up, defenses simply can't afford to risk pulling too many guys out of the middle of the field. If They, they would probably constantly have six or more guys in the box as long as the score is close because... They will dice you, slice you every which way if you give them any sort of any sort of daylight. If given even numbers of blockers and defenders, the Broncos will shred teams on the ground. Uh, they did it last year with a bad QB situation. Uh, they'll certainly do it this year with Russell Wilson uh, providing a little bit more balance at the helm. Overall, the strength of the backfield is what makes this offense dangerous, in my opinion. Without them, this would be a mediocre group of playmakers, but with them, the offense would be be able to expose and exploit more weak spots in opposing defenses. Uh, the success of this backfield is crucial for the success of the offense on the whole. Adding all those parts together, though, the Broncos have an offense that will probably be pushing top 10 this year uh, with the Russell Wilson acquisition. With that said, however, they, 
still in my mind, might have the last ranked offense in the division. And that's no slight to the Broncos. That's just how ridiculously stacked the offenses are in the AFC West. I mean, I laid it out in the start. I mean, you got four offenses that could legitimately vie to be in the top 10. The Chargers and Chiefs are in a class of their own at the top. They're probably going to be easily in the top 10. I'm not sure the Raiders as a whole on the offense uh, are better than the Broncos, but I think the Raiders, uh, personnel-wise that is, but I think the Raiders will be playing from behind more frequently uh, with that defense they have. So ultimately, I think garbage time and comeback yards for the Raiders are ultimately going to see them being ranked ahead of the Broncos when it's all said and done. But that being said, like I just said, the Broncos are probably going to be pushing top 10 this year with the unit they have. There's just so many strong units in the AFC West. I mean, it's the big reason why I can't wait to watch this division this, this year. But I digress on that front. Moving on to the defense, uh, defensively is where the bulk of the free agent moves were focused last season. Uh, they focused, or they added rather, pass rusher Randy Gregory, defensive tackle DJ Jones, and cornerback Kwan Williams through free agency. Uh, outside of Vaughn Miller, who they traded in the middle of last season to the Rams, uh, they lost Kyle Fuller in free agency, as well as a host of rotational players, but largely uh, starting lineup remained consistent from where it was at the end of last year, and they replaced a lot of those rotational players with one-year contracts uh, in this offseason. Not really worth going through all of them because they were numerous, but they were, they're were they all rotational players at this point for the most part. Uh, on the front seven, new big money signing DJ Jones anchors the middle at nose tackle, flanked by Draymond Jones and Deshaun Williams, uh, both of whom returned from uh, last year's squad. Uh then, rushing off the edge, it's another high-priced free agent, Randy Gregory and uh, incumbent Bradley Chubb with two wholly unknown commodities, Jonas Griffith and Josie Jewell, starting at inside linebacker. Uh, the obvious strengths in the front seven are where attention was paid in free agency. Um, inserting DJ Jones in the middle of that defensive line will do a lot of favors for the inexperienced inside linebacker duo behind them. Uh, plus, Draymond Jones and Deshaun Williams are no slouches either. Solid incumbents to have there. Uh, the strength of that front three alone should provide the baseline for a very solid, stout run defense this season. I mean, I think DJ Jones in particular is going to cause havoc up the middle, just really muddy up the inside there, so it's going to be tough to run up the middle against this team. Uh, on the outside with the division, with the addition of Randy Gregory, uh, the Broncos have two legit bookend pass rushers once again. Without Vaughn Miller at the end of the year, the Broncos were lacking that pass rush ability, but Gregory fits that role in the roster, fits that hole rather in the roster very, very nicely. Uh, big weaknesses that will be situation to monitor going forward are the inside linebackers. Uh, like I said before, Jonas Griffith and Josie Jewell are far from proven players. Josie Jewell uh, at least started last season but exited after just two games following an injury, uh, didn't return last season. Meanwhile, Jonas Griffith played 13 games last season but was mainly a rotational player. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye on them as the roster cutdowns happen. Uh, the Broncos may look to add another inside linebacker to the room if a good enough player uh, gets let go by another team. We'll have to monitor that going forward here. doesn't seem like anyone outside of uh, Jared Davis, who I mentioned earlier, has uh, come available as of yet, but still 45 minutes to go before the uh, the deadline here. Overall, I think the, uh, the strength of defensive line and pass rush will negate a lot of negative plays. 
excuse me, from an inexperienced inside linebacker core. The weakness of the inside linebackers will ultimately keep them from being a top top of the league uh, front seven, but they will be formidable at both stopping the run and rushing the passer this season, if I had to guess, uh, just based on the personnel they got there. On the back end, Patrick Sertan returns for his second season after a dominant rookie year. Uh, opposite of him, Ronald Darby steps into the other starting cornerback spot with the departure of Kyle Fuller in free agency over to Baltimore. Uh, behind them, all-pro free safety Justin Simmons and uh, Kareem Jackson return after solid 2021 campaigns, respectively. Simmons had uh, Five interceptions, Kareem Jackson was pushing 100 total tackles, so solid year. Uh, a little bit of a mixed bag on the back end, I would say. Uh, Simmons and Sertan are both stars. Uh, their presence alone makes everyone else's jobs easier. Plus, Kareem Jackson is as good of a, a non-star caliber strong safety as you can really ask for back there. Ronald Darby, starting opposite of Sertan, is worrisome, though, to me. Um, Sertan looks poised to ascend to shut down corner status this year uh, if he hasn't already gotten there. Darby is going to get a lot of targets on the other side of the field with QBs avoiding Sertan's side, and he hasn't even gotten so much as an INT since COVID invaded our lives. Um, if there's one spot in the secondary where I could see problems occurring, it's that second corner spot with Darby. Uh, you would hope to you would hope to see him uh, have frequent help on the back end with Justin Simmons roaming back there uh, behind him, but we'll have to wait and see if that will be enough to shore up that side of the secondary. As a whole, the secondary is a rock-solid group, uh, not in that upper echelon, but a tad below that. Uh, Darby at the second corner is a worry, but like I laid out above, I would imagine the defensive coordinator uh, gives him ample help with Simmons over the top. Having an all-pro like that on the back end makes things a little bit, I mean, makes your asshole pucker a little bit less than what Ronald Darby probably would have done without Justin Simmons back there to help. Um, looking at all those parts added together on the defense, the Broncos' defense isn't perfect by any stretch, but I think they're good enough to be one of the better groups in the entire league. The strength of the defensive line lessens the impact of having weak inside linebackers, and the strength of Justin Simmons provides a larger margin of error for Darby on the back end. The strengths of this defense compensate for weaknesses very, very nicely in ways that you don't see a lot of times in the league. Uh, in just about any other division, this would probably be a top 10 ranked unit in the entire league, but with the strength of the offenses in the AFC West, I find it hard to see them cracking the top 10. I think they will likely be right there when it's all said and done, maybe like 11 or 12. Um, but facing Carr, Herbert, and Mahomes twice a year each, it's going to take a, a bit of a toll on the stats overall. They're going to be a great unit, but the stats might not tell that same story when it's all said and done just based on the competition they face. But with that said, looking through rose-tinted glasses here, they're going to be absolutely battle-hardened by the time they make it to the postseason if they end up making it there. So, hey, if they can get in, might be a, might be a bit of a run ahead of them here. But I digress on the defensive front. Moving on to the special teams. More drama than was previously expected in the specialist room uh, for the Broncos. Um, after refusing to take a pay cut, the team released Sam Martin, who I talked about earlier. A solid punter for a while between uh, the Lions and I think the, the Broncos were his only other team that he's had in the league. A uh, couple different teams. Now it's second-year punter out of Mississippi State. I mean, Hale State. Corliss Waitman's 
show at the uh, as the team's top punter. Uh, they decided to go in a cheaper, younger option than uh, Sam Martin was offering them. Uh, George Payton, savage, savage of a GM. If there's anything we've learned over the past several several months here, um, honestly, I had zero clue this man even went to my alma mater. But hey, congrats on getting another shot. Awesome. Hope you end up having a long story career in Denver. You can smoke some of that mile high kush and just have a good old time over there. Um, that being said, hope it works out for him. Don't know a goddamn thing about him. Had had some solid numbers and like. I don't know, the seven punts he had with uh, the Steelers last season um, in, God, whoever the whoever the starting punter is there, his absence. But uh, I, I with Brandon McManus, uh, he remains the place kicker, so no, no real drama there. Uh, together, I want to say the Broncos will be fine because I'm, I'm obligated to root for the success of, of guys that went to Mississippi State. But I can't deny that going from Sam Martin to Corliss Waitman is a decided downgrade in the punter department. Uh, so I'd put them squarely middle of the pack uh, based on the average between the two. Brandon McManus, one of the best kickers in the league. No uh, no worries there. Corliss Waitman, wholly unknown prospect. So yeah, that average is out to uh, about middle of the pack between the, uh, between the specialists in the league. Uh, optimistically, looking at this whole team, Adding in Russ and yeah, adding in Russ and Wilson that that's definitely his name uh, to this team absolutely makes them uh, a player to win this division. Uh, they now have a QB who can just jump out to an early lead uh, and a defense and a run game run game combo rather that can hold that lead and put teams away. They'll need some luck to navigate the divisional matchups, but I could very easily see this team sliding into the playoffs and making a run when the when they actually get there. Uh, pessimistically, looking at this receiving core, uh, it's average. Uh, they've got some very particular holes on that defensive side of the ball. Uh, in a division that has, that's as strong as the AFC West, I can't shake the feeling that those deficiencies are going to lead to some costly mistakes down the line. Uh, if teams start picking on Ronald Darby or the inside linebackers, for instance, uh, in coverage on a regular basis, this team could also very easily drop some games that they probably shouldn't have and ultimately finish at the bottom of the division with, a, with the, the strengths elsewhere on that roster. Uh, overall, looking at this team, though, uh, I think... I think this team is about a year out from making a real Super Bowl run, uh, but George Payton has still managed to put together a very, very good roster uh, for the 2022 season. I think Russell Wilson going to make that offense very, very good, pushing top 10 this year, uh, and that defense will smother teams at times, uh, but the margin of error is just so thin in this division, even with the strengths that I just laid out. 10 wins would be a very successful season in my book, and it's going to be tough to get there, I would say. If things go truly awry, 8 wins certainly isn't out of the question. I think 8 wins puts you right about at last place in this division. With all that said, though, we have gotten through 20 whole pages, looked at all the teams in depth in the AFC West. Now the question is, who's the favorite? I mean, the Chiefs and Chargers, going to put a little bit of a spoiler here. They're in a class of their own clearly separated themselves at the top of the division, but even so, there's not one bad team in a lot of them. If things really fall a certain way, if things go chaotic, I could also see the Raiders or Broncos making a run and being top two in the division, maybe taking the division if things go totally awry, totally chaotic. Um, every team in this division is going to be an absolute problem for everyone else, which makes the AFC West exciting, but very, very messy to evaluate. 
Very, very exciting to evaluate, though, because there's so much going on here. With all that said, however, uh, deciding between the Chiefs and Chargers at the top, I think this is the Chargers' year to make a Super Bowl run. Uh, the Chiefs and Chargers are relative, relatively evenly matched um, on the offensive side of the ball. But it's no con no con contest when you compare the defenses. Um, easy for me to get out there. Uh, the health of J.C. Jackson will be a situation to keep an eye on as the season uh, progresses. Um, got to gotta watch, make sure he gets back early and gets back healthy. Um, that being said, the defense that Tom Telesco put together in L.A. this offseason is light years better than what the Chiefs are trotting out there this season. I mean, really, head and shoulders better than what the Chiefs have out there. Add into that the desperation of the Chargers that they've got on their side, knowing that this is their best shot, their last shot for a little bit at a title they're going to get for at least a few years. Um, and I think you have a properly motivated and talented group to traverse the gauntlet that is the, gauntlet that is the AFC West and make a deep, deep run into the postseason. After all of these years of disappointment and underperformance, this may be the year that the Chargers buck that trend in emphatic fashion. This might be the year that the Chargers end up making a play as LA's team. How about that for a, for a cliffhanger? But uh, that, that is all for this episode. We have gone, what, what, what are we at now? Two hours, 13 minutes of recording time. Obviously going to cut that down a little bit, but holy fuck. I am, uh, I am sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry this took so long, but this is there's a lot to talk about with this division. There's no gimme teams, no teams that I can just gloss over and say, yeah, these guys are going to stink, don't have to spend a whole lot of time on them. All four of these teams were totally could could be contenders when it's all said and done, but that's all for this episode. If you enjoyed, subscribe, leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. If you didn't enjoy, keep her moving. Don't need you here anyways, but also tell people it was good anyways. It'll help me grow a little bit more, and what does the growth of my podcast you know, affect you in any way, shape, or form? Uh, we are right on the verge of football season, so back to two episodes a week. Um, I've been trying to get the Tuesday and Thursday schedule for, I don't know, the past couple weeks now. Uh, just not happening with, with how much content I have to fill out with the division preview here. Um, yeah, it, it is what it is there. So Wednesday, Friday for now, probably getting back to Tuesday, Thursday when the season gets back in full swing. Uh, follow me on all my socials at Caleb Verzak. Link will be in the description so you don't have to spell my fucked up Eastern Block name. Uh, if you want to contact the show, shoot me an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. That's unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Just put in all caps, business or show, to start the subject line so you can be categorized accordingly. Uh, thank you for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. And as always, I've got no clue what I'm talking about. Usually this would be the spot uh, where I put one thing that I learned this week. But uh, yeah, got nothing this time around. We've already been recording two hours, so I'm going to save that fact for next time around. See you all later.